This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 203. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. In chat, I'm Ramayasha, and today with a hoi yo yo, we are going to be talking about Akira Toriyama's classic comedy manga, his first really big hit, and one of the biggest hits that put Jonin Jump on the map back in the early 80s, Dr. Slump. Before there was Dragon Ball, Toriyama was old, was a mega success thanks to the Hit. That was Dr. Slump, and it is a classic that a lot of Dragon fans may underrate, but there is just so much to love and enjoy, and it is so great to return to it and reevaluate it and just discuss it. It's always been one of my favorites ever since I was a kid, and still, and revisiting it probably is, no, definitely still among my all-time most favorite manga. We have, a, like, a great, incredible team of people who feel the same, who also love the series on to talk about it, including Jay. James, that one older guy from the Kicking Stones podcast and many other great podcasts. And we also had returning guests, Joey Weiser, of course, the Eisner-nominated comics artist of Merman and Ghost Hog and a good friend of the show. And of course, we were so excited to have on for the first time on the show, Mike Tool. The associate producer over at Discotech, longtime columnist and editor at large over at Anime News Network, who is a huge fan of Dr. Slump, considers it one of the best comics of all time. So it was great to have him. It was great to have Joey. It was great to have James. It was just a fun, fun conversation where we could, you know, really laugh at a tee hee 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 on all the great humor and joke and all the great, great artistry and comedy comic storytelling that is in Dr. Slump. It's just pure, unadulterated Toriyama genius, and it was just so much fun to talk about it. Oh, man. Um, Can I just say, I don't think we could have gotten a better group of people to talk about Dr. Slump. I I think we really hit it out of the park with this one, actually. Yes, it was a fantastic range of perspectives on the series, and just a lot of great commentary and analysis on it from everyone. It was a great, great team to bring together, and it was just so much fun to talk about it with them. No, seriously. I mean, we'll talk about this in the discussion, but yeah, it was just, uh, I mean, you know, for me in particular, like, this was the first time I had gone through all the Dr. Slump all the way through, and... Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to not think that Dr. Slump might actually be the best gag manga of all time. Like, in terms of all the gag manga I've read, I don't, I don't think I've read too, almost anything that's better, honestly. It's like, it's it's kind of the standard in my mind now. Like, especially since, like, and I, I wish we had more time to talk about this, but we, we did kind of have a set time for most of our guests to be on, unfortunately, or so much time that we could talk about Dr. Slump. But man, if we had more time, I would have definitely gushed about how, after reading Dr. Slump... I will never be able to, like, unsee that influence in other comic creators I liked works ever again, such as Kenta Shinohara. Dr. Slump is just everywhere in Sket Dance, and now, like, now the next time I read Sket Dance, I'm just not going to be able to get that out of my mind. Like, it's, it really blows my mind just how much Kenta Shinohara has really been inspired by Toriyama in particular. How much the culture at large has been inspired by Dr. Slump in ways that folks do not even realize. You know, that poop emoji you're all so fond of? Well, you know, I think you can trace the source of that popular image right 
down to Dr. Slump and how Toriyama draws and personifies poops. So there's a lot of cultural things in comedy manga and in popular culture that has spread, you know, to the wider popular culture in Japan and spread to, you know, international culture in ways that most people may not be conscious of. So it was just a great, great time to be able to parse through that and be able to revisit that and the source of a lot of that in Dr. Slump, which is, again, is just a true Truly fantastic, groundbreaking uh, work in as a comedy manga in many regards. It had a huge cultural impact in its day, and we still feel that impact now. And of course, we talk about our, the personal impact it had to us as folks who grew up on it. Like for me, in particular, as someone who kind of grew up with the series during my middle school years into my high school years, it has a very special place in my heart in terms of like the characters also in the manga age up into new phases in the lives in the spine of the series. So there's just a lot of different angles, a lot of different aspects of the series to appreciate. It is, even though it is a silly comedy among other, it is a dense work in terms of what it can offer in terms of culture analysis, in terms of the analysis of what makes it for a great comic, in terms of timing gag, just the, the form of comics that Toriyama plays with, in terms of, of course, the influences it had on other manga and Toriyama's own manga afterward. It's just, there's a lot to talk about here which is why we talked about it so extensively on the show. Yep. For sure. Um, but enough gushing about Dr. Slump, because we do the all we do that all throughout our discussion, and I think we should just get into it. Yep. It seems, you know, the, the sun is smiling on the side, Mr. Pig is announcing that the day's begun, so I think we should go off with a keen kick keen and take a tick a tick ten into our discussion, into the why why world of Dr. Slump. <laughs> Here it comes, here's my rabbits for you. King, 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 when talking Dr. Slum, there's so much to do. Brushing our teeth clean like the sun, be on Mr. Pig too. Everyone, let's come and talk Dr. Slum. I wonder what we'll feel about series. Will it make us laugh? She, he, she, she, with so much pleasure. Yes, we are indeed saying in chat and running keenly into the YY world of Dr. Slump, the classic comedy manga by Akira Toriyama, his debut work, The Trailblazing Shonen Jump Pit. We are finally talking about this iconic series with some very cool guests, and we are going to revisit this wild and wacky world and find out is it truly as genius as its eponymous character? Character claims to be, or is it a manga just full of a lot of poop? And will we have to rule it as a success, or send it to the rejected pile, like so many hundreds of pages of Kira Toriyama's Please Slump Manga comic traps? Well, helping us evaluate and revisit and talk about this here today are a great selection of guests joining us. Returning to the show is Joey Weiser, the Eisenhower-nominated and Georgia Book Award-winning graphic novel author of Merman, Ghost Dog, Dragon Racer, Dino Town, Monster Island, so many more great comics. 
And we also have, first time on the show, two special guests, James, who you may know as that one welder guy who hosts many podcasts, including the Dr. Stone podcast, Kicking Stones, the Ice Shield 21 podcast, Deal with the Devils, as well as Weave Jammin' and yada yada yada, and a frequent guest on so many more other pods, like MJ Pod. And we are so pleased to have on Mike Tool, editor-at-large at Anime News Network and producer at Discotech. Thank you guys so much for coming on to chat about this wild, weird series with us. Yeah, thanks for having us. A pleasure to be aboard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, I would have been very jealous and sad if this podcast had come out and I had not been on it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we know how much you love Dr. Slump, Joey, so we knew we had to have you on. And we're so glad to have you guys on too, Jeans and I, because we also know you are huge fans of the series. Mike, you've been on record saying it is the best comic period out there ever Yeah, greatest, greatest comic ever made. And uh, <laughs> the publisher I do a little work for, Discotech Media, also has released a collection of Dr. Slump movies. So uh, I'm doing my part to carry the torch of, uh, of this killer series. Oh, yeah. And they're a great collection of movies. <laughs> you revisited them recently and just a ton of fun and yeah i mean slump is getting a little more exposure thanks to the 97 series being added to tubi but still compared to the massive hit that is dragon ball <laughs> pretty much everywhere worldwide dr slump really did not catch much attention in art america it's still even beyond from dragon ball fans there are a lot of people who still have not really engaged with it but you know it's a series pretty near and dear to me i'm sure a lot of us are big fans of akira toriyama's work uh just for fans of like just these kind of classic comedy manga in general and yeah slump is really one of the best out there and i mean before we go into our personal histories with dr slump we should outline the premise which is pretty basic uh so there's not too much we have to go over in terms of like oh this big winding epic that is you know like dragon ball dr slump is pretty simply a story about you know the eponymous doctor scientist senbei noramaki named after a brand of rice cracker you can tell what was on toriyama's mind when he I was love that character <laughs> salty <laughs> yeah. and he one day decides to prove his genius by making a robot that can pass as a human and is is his victory in his eyes that this little robot girl arale also named after Brandon Crever, can go out and interact with the rest of the village, Penguin Village, which is on this kind of, like, isolated rural island. It's a very small village. So, like, if he can get this girl, like, to just pass as human, like, he can prove, like, he's the best genius around. At least that's what the initial chapter, like, that's his goal. And <laughs> it's like, well, where's the arbitrary reason for, like, Arale to not reveal to everyone she's a robot? Because as it turns out, Penguin Village is a weird, weird place where you're going to see kaiju, you're going to see tokusatsu superheroes, you're going to see aliens, you're going to see sentient talking poop. You're going to see pop culture parodies of Superman and Spock and all sorts of crazy characters interact in this like small little town. And so Aureli fits right in with all that weirdness, even with her super strength and the fact that she can dead hatch her head. No one bats an eye because of the weird world <laughs> that they live in. And Senbei and Aureli are joined in their household by the Gachin, who is a little alien baby. They kind of 
pick up from an egg when they go back into the past. Long story. And uh, (laughs) there's a big mystery behind the origins of this character that gets revealed later. But they're just like, for the most part in the story, just this small flying little baby with angel wings and antennae who only says a few phrases like, koopy-pee, poopy-poo, and stuff like that. And they're Aurelia's best friend. And there's just a bunch of other characters. Like, Ale has, like, a bunch of friends at school. She has, like, a bunch of other characters, like mentioned before, who are in the town, like the police force and the bumbling Superman wannabe Superman and all sorts of guys like that. And there's also Senbei's love interest, Midori, who, for half of the manga, he is trying to woo unsuccessfully and also trying to perv on. Uh, thankfully unsuccessfully and the story goes into a bunch of weird uh, fun places from there and all sorts of eclectic adventures and that's Dr. Slump in a nutshell and of course it goes to a lot of different places a lot of other characters we'll bring up in the discussion but yeah it's just a really fun time and from the beginning you're getting like a lot of different types of stories like in the first volume itself you'll have the time slip story where they go back in time you have the story where you have like the big small gun and you have all sorts of comic shenanigans And that's the series, but I want to now bring us back to like, okay, how did we learn about the series? How did we discover this little weird oddity that is from like, of course, a big name in Akira Toriyama, his first work, you know, Dragon Ball was just such a phenomenon here. But like, how did we come to discover Dr. Slump as a series? Whoever wants to like start with, you know, when they first learned and discovered it. Well, I can talk about just, you know, being an anime fan in the 90s. Of course, it was pretty easy to discover Dragon Ball. And I, I was drawn to Toriyama's comic art immediately and started collecting the uh, the, the Japanese Tonkaban before that series even came out in English. And, um, and I, I wasn't like super into it. After a while, I started looking at his other stuff. And Slump was something that before it was translated was really easy to pick up if you only knew a little Japanese or barely any Japanese at all and just kind of start puzzling through. His artwork is so good. And there's so much sheer visual comedy that it's very easy to enjoy. Uh, there was that, and uh, in 1997, you know, formative experience, I saw a fan sub of one of the Dr. Slump movies at Katsukon, and uh, at that point, I was hooked, and I, I had to have more. And uh, thankfully, over the years, it's only gotten easier to get Dr. Slump in English. And uh, it is it is interesting looking back, though, because uh, the Dr. Slump as a comic debuted in English from Viz in May of 2005. That's almost 17 years ago. So I, I think I think you I think it would be fair to say that Doctor Slump has become a beloved part of our comics landscape uh, here in the English speaking world. You know you can you can go collect the volumes; it's all still in print. You can read it online as part of Shonen Jump, and uh, it's uh, it's it's a great great series. But yeah, I I discovered it through Dragon Ball, and in those early days of the '90s, uh, pursuing whatever I could find. Yeah, it's already had that like lifespan of going out of print briefly and folks kind of thinking that maybe it never would get back into print again and then and then going back into print and then now living digitally as well, which is cool. It's more accessible than ever thanks to the jump ball for sure. Oh yeah. Um yeah, my my roots with it were definitely Dragon Ball as well, you know, when I was getting into Dragon Ball uh, around that same time period in the 90s, I knew it kind of just through the context. Yeah, I was kind of viewing it as this lens of like, well, this is the series that Toriyama did before Dragon Ball, the series that I'm really into. 
And so I didn't really know much about it. My first kind of like earliest contact with any real Dr. Slump stuff is that I in high school. Yeah, this must have been like 98 or 99 because it had to be somewhere within the proximity of the newer anime series. Like some friends of mine who are Japanese American siblings had like gone back to Japan for a trip and brought me back as a gift when they came back like a little blind box character from the 97 Dr. Slump anime. And I opened it up and it was it was Peace And I remember not knowing who it was, but thinking like, this is funny. He's like got cat ears for a hat. Like, that's so weird because, you know, I don't know. 90s were kind of like peak cat girl uh, anime time period, uh, at least Mm -hmm. with what we were getting in English. And so I think I remember thinking that that was pretty funny. And then, yeah, it was kind of a few years later that I was doing a student exchange in Japan and buying up basically every Toriyama comic I could, uh, with the exception of Dr. Slum because kind of opposite to what Mike was saying, which I think is totally true. I looked through it and I was like, I can't tell what's going on. Like, this is too much like random stuff. And I think it was just that there weren't like fights in it or something, but like... Uh, you should have picked up one of the later volumes. Yeah, true. Uh, it's it's an old enough series that they didn't... It wasn't standardized yet for Shonen Jump to put Furigana, the phonetics next to the kanji so like at my like level of Japanese I couldn't like read that and so I was just kind of like well I'm not going to really be able to get much out of this but then yeah thankfully years later I guess if it was 2005 that would be right when I was like graduating college Viz started publishing it in English and I think it kind of snuck up on me like I started buying it just out of curiosity and almost kind of like obligation as a Dragon Ball fan and then a few volumes in I think after Toriyama really builds up that cast and gives you the feeling for the village and everything I really realized that I was feeling like extremely attached to these characters and uh, really, really loved it. And uh, yeah, around that same time period is where I would have been seeing some anime from it. Like, um, you know, it's not as accessible. Uh, the anime isn't as much as the manga is here, but there were fan subs. Like I sometimes joke that like, <laughs> it, and it, there's some truth to, to this, that the first episode of Dr. Slump is maybe the single episode of anime that I've watched the most because like <laughs> so many different fan subgroups would like start it and then give up. <laughs> um, and, and then there's like the dub pilot, which is, you know, yep. pass yeah, around dub, and whatnot. The pilot and, was a wonderful artifact. Yeah, yeah. And uh, similar to what I was talking about in our Kitaro episode, Dr. Slump actually ran on Hawaiian television with kind of rudimentary English subtitles. So some recordings of that have been passed around and stuff. And I kind of thought it would just exist only in this world of bootlegs and stuff uh, for English. But then, yeah, thankfully, the folks at Discotech put out that movie set, which I was so excited about and cherish. And then now, yeah, to be the 97 series. I haven't watched all of it yet. I've watched maybe about 50 episodes of it. So get, getting close <laughs> to that finish line. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that in more depth later. But I've really kind of gone on a journey with that 97 series where my feelings on that have evolved uh, over time. Time. But uh, yeah, that's those are the basics with me and Slump. Cool, cool. And yeah, definitely. Uh, I walked through the 97 series in prep for the podcast too, just a few months ago. So yeah, definitely have thoughts on it. But yeah, no, that's really awesome. And yeah, James, what's your journey been with Dr. Slump? I would say I'm probably like the late bloomer on this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I don't know about that, James. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now, I want to say, um, I don't know who it really was at first but it's when i got the uh how was it called the dragon ball illustrations book back in like i want to say 08 or 09 and i used to thumb through that and i think it had the character o'reilly like on one of the cover pages and i would just wonder like who that was and then she was also on the uh, was the budokai tenkaichi 3 game 
as a character as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, yep, like, yep, like yep. I never seen this character. I was like, oh, they're not in Dragon Ball, because I watched a lot of Dragon Ball in the day. Oh, you missed the Wizard the Penguin Village in the original Dragon Ball. Yeah, there was an episode eventually that I did get to that, because I ended up watching Dragon Ball on YouTube <laughs> back in the day. So it was like, there was back when episodes were like in parts. <laughs> yep, three parts in, on YouTube. Yeah, three parts on YouTube. But yeah, I ended up eventually making it to that episode. And I really enjoyed it. And that's what I started to get interested in, Dr. Slump. And I watched also a lot of the original anime on YouTube as well back then. But I never really looked back into it. And then whenever, um, I want to say it was a few years ago when uh, Shonen Jump started doing the the vault stuff is when I started reading it again. And that's pretty much it. I mean, I pretty much enjoyed it from there. Nice. Well, I know you've been, you know, tweeting out a lot of your thoughts, rereading the series, you know, sharing some of your favorite moments. And how has that journey been? Oh, man, it's it's wild. (laughs) (laughs) There's just so much crazy stuff. And I thought about making a Dr. Slump out of context, but I'm like, even in context, it's still (laughs) odd. Yeah. So it's like it doesn't really help at all. You would never run out of material. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that it's so thick with jokes. (laughs) Yeah. But it's really interesting seeing like Toriyama's bleh, Toriyama style, like earlier style before Dragon Ball and all that. No, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, no, his style does evolve a lot from the beginning. It's so interesting because when Slump starts, you feel like, well, it's a little more, it's a lot busier, his panels. There's a lot more stuff in them. We commented on this uh, on our manga theater discussion, but he seems to really want to put in a lot more per page. Mm-hmm. And he also really is more uh, dialogue oriented than he'll be later on. But he, oh, of course, he'll still be very playful with his visual gags, even from the beginning. But also with his character designs, you'll see that they, they start off a lot like Girl. Raleigh is a lot taller in the beginning oh, than yeah. she becomes the end of the manga, <laughs> which is so funny that the designs become so much rounder and simpler and squatter as the series is on, as compared to what happens in Dragon Ball, where it's almost very much the opposite, where characters... Stark become lankier and more muscly and detailed. Yeah, Goku becomes less chunky. <laughs> more jagged. <laughs> yeah, he pointier. More sharper lines and shapes for the character designs. It's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. He kind of goes in one direction in Dr. Slump with his art, and then it almost kind of takes a turn back to something closer to the original style, almost over the course of Dragon Ball. Uh, though, of course, like, still quite different, but it's, <laughs> in terms of the lankiness of the characters, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, he has this kind of, like, way of caricaturing women early on that is more like you see at the beginning of that short story collection where he gives them that kind of like overbite and they have these kind of droopy eyes yeah that little curl to the lip yeah Mm -hmm. and i think it's really fun but i think it's maybe kind of limiting in what you can do with their faces and he's just kind of like after he has drawn them uh these characters for so long he's kind of adapted to just making them these kind of like (laughs) You know, Raleigh does kind of become this lovable little potato girl. (laughs) I mean, as as far as him drawing women, like he jokes about it. There's, 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 there's a story where you know, uh, yeah, yes, exactly. When Akane disguises herself as the teacher Midori, and Toriyama is just like, it's easy for her to 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 don this disguise because I can only draw one girl face. It's not a bug, it's a feature. Yeah, you definitely yeah. see him grow out of that and start to draw more cartoony yeah, women's exactly. faces as the series goes on. 
Uh, like especially when Such you get Sumerian introduced, it's like more akin to like yeah, the more kind of softer character faces he starts drawing around. Then for sure, he's aware of his weaknesses, and I appreciate that about him. Oh, mm-hmm. I, he's mm-hmm. not shy about <laughs> lambasting himself, self depreciating like his artistic failings and the mistakes he makes. That's one of the funnest parts about Doctor Slump is that he will often interject of like, wait a minute, didn't you make this mistake? Wait a minute, isn't this an <laughs> artistic combination of yours and he cops to it he cops to it directly in the manga directly at the audience wait 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 a minute isn't this caramel man number nine and not eight you skipped it (laughs) (laughs) god that's so good it's like he just scratches out the eight with an accent and he just puts a draws a nine on it says oh this is gonna have to do Oh, that, uh, that, <laughs> that's so funny. He is like, why can't you remember your own <laughs> numbers of your images? You're the author. Why can't you remember? <laughs> that's so good. Yeah. And in some ways, Dr. Slump is like an autobiog- <laughs> autobiography uh, of Toriyama during that time period, for sure. Mm-hmm. You, you meet him, you meet his his wife and his assistants. And mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. even Penguin Village is kind of based on the fact that he lives out in the country and stuff. So It is totally. That's such a important that. You know, I think we should really get into here because it's such a huge part of what I love about Dr. Slump is that Akira Toriyama is a character in the manga. And this manga is so much a reflection of his interest and his life. And it does really chronicle his life. He puts his life into the story and it shapes and affects the direction of the story. And it really is just a snapshot in his life between the ages of, you know, his mid 20s when he starts and, you know, he's still like, living with his parents like drawing manga just trying to find his calling and then becomes big and he you know meets his wife he gets married during the middle of Dr. Slump's run and that's reflected in Senbei also getting married and changes happening there he draws things inspired by his life in terms of like you know he loves his dog Turbo he names a character after Turbo in the series Mm -hmm. he gets a really into motorcycles and motorbikes he gets his motorcycle license and many he does that it's like a full volume's worth of like motors stories about so many motorcycles, motorcycles. Yep. Uh, the, yeah. the climactic art is a motorcycle race and it's lampshaded in the comic that yeah the reason i'm doing this because i'm really on a motorcycle kick right now yeah you can see that too on his cover or his title pages it'll change from cars to motorcycles mm. yeah <laughs> And yeah, so much he just mentions details of his life. I mean, just the central conflict, the main antagonist of the manga, as you know, is his antagonist real life, is his editor, Torishima. And Torishima rejecting all his all ideas <laughs> and him feeling like constantly in conflict with him. And he puts Torishima, he represents him in the series as Mashirito, Senbei's rival, who wants to one up him as, a, as an inventor and like kind of destroy his work. And as just a really funny like medic commentary just the satiring like his real world like kind of friendly rival in regime in as by making him the villain of his series just having that comic recollected on the page in the story of the series is just so fun but not only that just the fact that again Toriyama is a character Toshima is a character just there are conversations there are just snapshots of Toriyama like just talking about working on the manga in the story itself there are chapters that begin just about Toriyama like he like is like thinking about drawing the 
comic or something happens and he's like, oh crap, I need an idea. Like one of the chapters is starts with him being like, oh dang it, I was late sending in my manuscript. Ugh. And he goes to Sendai for help. Was like, hey, can you make a time stopper so I don't have to be late on my deadlines again? It's what we all dream of. I mean, Lom, well, <laughs> I think we're missing the big picture here, which is that there is a talking pile of poop. That is a major character in this in this comic. Yeah, yeah, no, just that is that is also amazing. Just that it is, you know, Toriyama has all these wild concepts in terms of like, oh, he loves pop culture parodies, especially of Kaiju and Tokusatsu, but he also just loves juvenile humor. He loves poop humor, and Harale herself, poop is her favorite thing in the world. She loves touching it, she loves pulling it in on sticks and running around. It's a fundamental truth that that some highbrow folks (laughs) among us might not cop to right away, but poop is always funny. Poop is, yeah. poop is fundamentally <laughs> hilarious. and uh, Especially when it can smile right back yeah, at you. Yeah, especially when it can sass back at you and run around. And, and, if, you, and if you really don't like it and are grossed out, it, it chases after you. That's extremely funny. Sophisticated humor, I say. No, yeah. The, the and goofiness it lives in the toilet. is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was... <laughs> chapter is like the it's just a chapter that for the most part that is just about the talking poops uh, in the town and then it ends with like them finding a rally and a rally bringing them home which is just the yeah, toilet, just toilet. <laughs> yeah so uh well i think we're gonna go into all these weird wonderful things about the world of penguin village and dr slump and toriyama's storytelling what he puts in it but to just close out kind of like our relationships to slump uh, to just talk about mine so slump i've mentioned it before but it is a super formative comic for me a super influential comic for me and uh on what i love about comics what i love about art and what inspires me and what, what i tried to make in my own comics as a kid and stuff and so like i when I, I mentioned this before but i got into anime manga very seriously in 2005 it's like and i really got into it through dragon ball at the beginning of that year uh from catching the last episodes of gt on Tanali and then that encouraging me and making me want to like get into the rest of the franchise and you know of course that also led me to the dragon ball manga Manga. And in March of 5, I picked up my first DBZ book. I bought DBZ volume 18, which was not the newest volume out at the time. The newest volume was 19. And I didn't buy that. I bought 18 for, you know, the content in But at, I did flip through that. And at the back of 19 was the promotion for Dr. Slump volume coming out in May. And it's a series from Akira Toriyama. And so I recognized and I was like, oh, the creator of Dragon Ball has another series that's going to be coming out very soon. And so pretty much from... From Slump's first volume being published in English by Viz, all the way to the last one published, I was following the series, checking out volumes from my library, reading it, reading volumes over and over again. And that span from my late elementary school days all the way to the end of my middle school days. So for me, Dr. Slump really represents his time and place in my life. Uh, so it really does represent kind of like this experience I had during my middle school years and the kind of stuff I wanted to make at the time, because I always was drawing comics as a kid, but Dr. Slump to me was just this perfect kind of encapsulation of all these different goofy things I love in its world building. Just that there's all these weird characters that there is all these like blatant pop culture parody characters that Toriyama makes his own. That it is just so juvenile, but also it gets so weird and inventive and clever with some of its humor and concepts. And again, the fact that Toriyama puts himself into the story. So basically like every part of the manga 
manga, even the parts in between the manga, even like the mini comics Toriyama draw, even him, his columns, they felt a part of the narrative to me. They felt a part of the story because so much of Dr. Sump feels like it is Toriyama, very direct to the reader, like kind of you know, exploring his own life and interest and communicating to you directly and having a dialogue with his readers. And that was super enthralling to me as a kid. That was super interesting. And that's what really made me fell in love with Toriyama as an artist, as a person, like even more so than Dragon Ball. So Dr. Sump was like just so impactful on me. I mentioned it before, but in the comics I <laughs> created at the time, I basically drew a lot of characters that were uh, more than inspired, let's say, from Dr. Sump characters. I had my own version of Mashi Rito that I drew. I had my own version of King Nico-chan, and I had a, a, my own like version of uh, Superman called Tickle Man and I drew I had like this world called Block Town that I you know I made stop motion films of and comics of that was very much like Penguin Village in terms of the types of eclectic characters and weird world building and stuff like that and so you know Dr. Slump uh, just in terms of like the world it presented in terms of like the kind of stories it was it was telling and its playfulness with the comic medium that's another thing that I just loved so much about it is I mean again Doriana he demolishes the fourth wall like he crumples it up he <laughs> crumples it in a tiny ball he throws it away and then he takes a big stinky <laughs> all over it and he's smiling at you all the while he's smiling looking right at your eyes and making you watch him do it I don't I like this it. image <laughs> but it's but it's very true no <laughs> but it's, you can picture it can't you <laughs> Yeah, just the, the way he interacts with the panel gutters, the way the characters are just so aware of their status as a comic, the fact that they can have a dialogue with the author, that was just was so impactful on me. So I, I just love it. It is like my ideal of comic uh, back then and still even now in rereading it. The thing about Lum drawing their own versions of the characters made me think about this. Like I was reflecting recently, I recently rewatched the second Dr. Slump movie, the space adventure one. And I was thinking about how like ridiculous it was that, Basically, Toriyama, through just kind of needling his editor and kind of like poking fun at him, created a whole character based off of his editor who ended up being like the main villain of a theatrical released movie that was in theaters all over Japan. (laughs) And then now we take this like a whole step later that decades later, some kid in another country was making their own character based off of this editor just because Toriyama wanted to like have some fun uh, poking at his editor and stuff. And I think that's just so fun. Yeah, it is really fun to think about. Um, I can make my origins really quickly because uh, I'm trying to... uh, We're we're two minutes away from an hour ago when I just finished all of Dr. Slump. Uh, (laughs) Pretty much same. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, see, I I, I read it when it came out and I have not gone back to reread it since. It is is perfectly preserved in my mind, which is to say not at all, but... uh, I, I remember the good parts. In this case, though, this was actually my first time reading through Dr. Slump because Dr. Slump was a thing. I mean, obviously, I'm a huge Dragon Ball fan. I love Toriyama's stuff as well. And Dr. Slump was definitely a big blind spot for me uh, pretty much ever since I found out about it probably back in 2006, 2007, somewhere around there. I don't really remember the first time I like interacted with it. If I really had the dig back, it probably would have either been 
Budokai Tenkaichi 3, because as we mentioned, she is a playable character in that, and I definitely played her a lot. Either that, or uh, I think the first time I read through the Dragon Ball manga and saw, you know, those few crossover chapters or whatever, and was like, I don't know what any of this is. I don't really care about any of this or whatever. Um, <laughs> but just a side note, I'm really interested in like going through those in the anime now Now on another day, another adventure, my Dragon Ball Side podcast. Uh, now that I've actually read all of Dr. Slump and I'll have the context for that, I'm really looking forward to that conversation, uh, Joey and James. Oh, yeah. You've never seen those episodes before, have you? No, I haven't. Obviously, I've read the manga, but I don't know like how different the anime is. It's, good. Oh, they add a lot. They add a okay. lot to do more with the characters. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's good you did your homework because, mm-hmm. yeah, they really flesh it out. I'll say that I've only watched one episode of Dragon Ball Super, and it was the one where the RLA shows up. Yeah, nice. yeah, that's a great <laughs> that episode. Really good too. episode. That's great. No, I was it, it's so a good happy line. They did that. Last thing I'll say is that, I mean, you know, I have a lot of comics that I love that we've talked about on the show, especially, but I, I look, I think just objectively, and I really hate using that word a lot, but I think in this case, objectively, I think Dr. Slump might be one of the best comics ever drawn. And that's really saying something, because I would say most of Toriyama's stuff is good. I can't really think of like, even when we talked about his manga theater collection on a previous episode, there might have been some stories that we liked more than others, but they're really like, he, he's never made a comic that I've disliked, really. Like, a- any comic of his I read, I can always at least, like, find one thing that I appreciate about it, whether that be the story or mostly his art, but I don't know, Dr. Slump's a good comic, and I'm kind of kicking myself for uh, taking so long to get to it, honestly. <laughs> well, I-, I think the- a reason for that is something that I think a thing about Dr. Slump in relationship to Dragon Ball is that a lot of Dragon Ball fans, all they know about Arale is from video games and those like couple of chapters and all they really know is like she's strong and it's like okay cool who cares she's a very strong character but but it's funny or something <laughs> and the thing about those chapters the penguin village crossover chapters I kind of had a revelation last time I read those uh, probably for this podcast when we were talking about Dragon Ball a few years ago is that those Dr. Slump Dragon Ball chapters are not actually very good like they Ooh, okay. don't really tell you what is great about Dr. Slump. That Those chapters are, are like a victory lap where Toriyama's just kind of being like, hey, check it out. Here's all your favorite characters. And if you were already coming into Dragon Ball from having been a kid in Japan and like loving Dr. Slump, you're like happy to see characters just kind of poke their head in the corner of the panel and do a peace sign and then disappear. But if you're not, if you don't have that context, it's just kind of a bunch of characters not really doing anything. No, totally. If you don't have connections, like the first chapter of that is it's like Goku doesn't appear until like the weary end of the chapter, pretty much. It is just pages of just like the characters, you know, all coming in for the cameos having Richter out. It really is meant for the Japanese reader at the time who's reading Lee Shonen Jump, who knew Dr. Slump, who was a fan of Dr. Slump, and now they are you know, kind of treated with this gift of like, oh, it's Penguin Village. Dr. Slump is back just suddenly. And it's a surprise, not telegraphed at all. And it really, you know, it goes to say that like, you know, Dr. Slump was a huge hit in Japan uh, long before Dragon Ball. Like Dr. Slump alone made Toriyama like a household name of huge success, (laughs) incredibly wealthy. Like he could have like coasted on that for a little while, even before Dragon Ball. Like it was just that successful. And now he'll never run out of money. Yeah. <laughs>
And now it's just so interesting that Dragon Ball has so overshadowed it because the, you know, in Japan, of course, it ended up becoming even more popular, but also internationally, the popularity is just so humongous and the influence is so humongous. But Dr. Slump was just like an incredibly important and super uh, ubiquitous series for uh, its time in Japan, for sure. And those chapters are like, yeah, you know, it, they are meant for the reader. They are meant for the viewer who knows a Raleigh, who knows these characters. And so, like, they're not asking any questions. They're not confused. They're just enjoying seeing these characters again and enjoying seeing them pop up for the brief time that they're there. Yeah, and I think it's just not really doing a good job of trying to sell you on the series, right? Right. It's not meant to be an introduction at all. Yeah. No, it's not yeah. meant to be an introduction. So that is your, like, first exposure and you're gonna be confused you're not gonna understand hey what what makes these characters so great why is this baby uh have psychic powers uh (laughs) who are who are all these characters who are showing up that we don't really know like when a botchman shows up you don't really know much about it botchman he seems like a good boy but you don't know his story you don't know why it's like oh cool the botchman's here you know like stuff like that yeah here comes the best boy (laughs) oh Yeah, yeah. yeah Yeah, I mean, I think when I was a kid, I probably read those chapters before even reading some, but was still like intrigued then uh, by the characters. But I would also agree that it's also like, well, this is clearly a reference to like this whole other thing. This is a crossover to something that I'm not familiar with that I need to learn more about. But uh, if you're just like taken by surprise, then yeah, you're not going to really want to be interested in it. Like, that's the kind of reaction that a lot of people had, unfortunately, with that Dragon Ball Super episode with Arale. That episode is also, like, meant for, like, oh, you know, Arale, you can appreciate that Mashirito has come, is a ghost and has come back from the dead <laughs> and referenced the fact that he died in the comic and all this stuff. I'm sure all the Vegeta fanboys were really upset that he got one-shotted by Arale, but... I thought it was I thought it was the funniest shit in the world, honestly. <laughs> it was, but yeah, I mean, and we talked uh, on a lot of points about like kind of the the art and world, but like uh, you know any other aspects of it that we want to discuss, and also like aspects about the characters. Let's speak about like the things Toriyama puts into the manga because we talk a lot about you know the elements of his life he includes in there and what how that affects and influences stories and makes it interesting. But there is just, you know, there's so much mileage to be gained out of him just doing pop culture parodies, like seeing a movie or like having a movie or thing on his mind and wanting to make a story about that, like the Spock chapter or stuff like that. One thing I wanted to touch on with Toriyama's artwork is is you see a lot in Dr. Slump. Uh, he keeps pulling this move where he kind of reflexively ping-pongs between uh, really cartoonish artwork and obsessively detailed hype realistic mm. artwork uh, you know no, notably when uh, when when senbei occasionally uses his superpower to become extremely normal <laughs> yeah he, he looks cool and handsome but i think of the superpower is just like senbei can make himself normal for a few seconds every <laughs> now and then but toriyama yeah. toriyama exercises that over and over again and it's an incredibly incredibly effective gag it's my favorite gag because it's just like chunky senbei and then he's just like you know muscular tall senbei. yeah then it's muscular <laughs> it's tall so steely eyed you know this his his suddenly he's perfectly quaffed 
the gap, the gap in his teeth contrast. disappears. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, it makes me fun contrast also when he draws like more realistically detailed like characters as uh, antagonists, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's the three like aliens that try and invade in one chapter and they have like kind of more detailed drawn like faces and designs. And there's like an era of menace in there. And all it ends up becoming silly because these aliens are, of course, like very small yeah, <laughs> wannabe <right>. invaders <laughs> who are easily defeated. Their mech is like easily squashed by your like it's not that tall at it's all. the same kind of magic that you, you you'd see like in mad magazine from artists like john severin and mort drucker where it's just like yeah it's it's that constant slingshotting between something that is almost true to life and something that is just completely cartoonish and absurd you know in the same panel next to each other yeah and having them kind of exist cohesively in the same comic is really impressive like it always still looks like it's drawn by the same hand and like it doesn't look out of place you know, I think when I think about his like more detailed drawings, of course, I think a lot about his like chapter illustration covers where he's like really experimenting a lot with like different kinds of mark making and drawing creatures and robots and things like that. And it really gives the whole comic a sense of kind of like him just kind of messing around, like just playing and trying different stuff. Especially with the mechanical designs in Dr. Slump and automobile designs. Those are always so detailed, so beautifully and meticulously rendered. And you have like these like simpler looking characters like contrasted with these like super detailed like designs for these mechs. And it, it really creates this interesting sense of like the world of like these simple characters that kind of can exist in like a simple world. They also can exist around like these more uh, articulately drawn things and yeah i mean it shows kind of the depth of toriyama's artistry and the fact that yeah he can really within like the same chapter like kind of easily weave between different styles and have the same character even go between different styles and yet it still feels like a piece with the world because that's just the, the, the dynamic of the world is that it's a world where you can believe anything can happen uh, and it, anything can exist and Toriyama makes it so and this includes even similar types of characters like you can have like a in terms of the kaiju characters the various different gammas and Godzillas mm-hmm. that he draws during the series he draws so many different versions and they often look very different they can be very goofy looky or he can go for like the more like kind of uh realistically rendered and it's fun the fact that you can have like even different versions of these like kind of monster archetypes in the series too but you know they all feel like part of the same world yeah it has the kind of life of like flipping through someone's sketchbook you know it has just this real liveliness and it 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 highlights that quality of toriyama's work that i admire so much where it looks easy like it looks like he's just kind of dashing it off and it just happens to be perfect you know that's a quality that can be frustrating but also like really admirable about his his work and it's one of the things that gives the comic a sort of light feel nothing looks like labored over yeah Mm -hmm. i mean especially with you know toriyama's working schedule he is one to very readily admit that he's a procrastinator he's one to put himself in a jam of like having to work uh, multiple nights and really struggling to get things down to the wire done on time and so he also plays with the strategy of like well 
well, I don't want to finish this thing and then just have it rejected by Torishima again. So I'll play to my strategy, play to myself of like knowing that I'll take a long time on this and I'll come in last minute and I'll come into the point where Torishima can't force me to change my idea, which is how Mashirito is able to get through. That's <laughs> a smart so move, yeah. Ideas. Like mm-hmm. Miko-chan too, it's like Nikachan originally his design was rejected by Torishima, but then Toriyama kind of like just filled with it and sent it in at the last minute practically unchained and like Torishima called him later and was like, oh, you know, not bad. Barely <laughs> <laughs> anything changed. But like, it's clear that just it was obvious that Torishima nothing was gonna change, so he just let it slide. So it's really funny. That's one way to game the system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a very Toriyama solution. And it's it's interesting, too, that, you, you know, we point out that uh, Toriyama puts himself in Dr. Slump as a character, but Senbei himself is is kind of analogous to, to Toriyama. He just in, in the sense that he is a person who is constantly struggling to create something perfect and fails over and over. But his failures are really interesting and funny. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about it like that. I mean, yeah, he's just a perfect representation of Toriyama, which is funny because he mentioned in the manga theater that he designed him to be goofy looking because he was... He didn't want to have a protagonist that was handsomer than him with that backfire because everyone said, oh, you look just like Senbei. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. it's so very true because a lot of aspects of the personality you like the point you mentioned. Of like, yeah, he's just trying to come up with all these creative ideas and they kind of blow up. They don't go as he thinks. But also a lot of his personality of like being like, you know, kind of pervy, kind of easily distracted and all these other aspects. But also like his growth in the story, the fact that he does end up getting married in a relationship he ends up forming a family he does end up kind of finding his own level of success is so much a mirror of Toriyama's own so it's such an interesting thing to track you know Senbei's Jordan story mirroring Toriyama's growth during the same time period of Dr. Slum's publication I will say my favorite thing about that is whenever you would see like the updated mailbox <laughs> and you yeah. would have like you know, let's say Gachan <laughs> later on, and then it would have uh, Midori on there. And I was like, oh, look, the mailbox has more people on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a fun detail. It makes sense in retrospect to me. But uh, when I got to that chapter, I was like, oh, they just kind of got married, I guess. Like, it was just so, like, unceremonious. That's one of my <laughs> favorite things. It's just the suddenness of it and just the silliness of it. He's, he just he just needed something that week. Yeah, no, that is what he said, is that uh, he just needed an idea. And I'm sure he might have had just bears on the mind for other reasons, too. But needed a story to He thought, oh, you know, I could get a story out of Sendai and Midori getting married and something happening on their honeymoon and stuff like that. I could find stories out of a status quo change, which you'll see a lot in Dr. Slump that when Toriyama introduces a new character or has a status quo change, like he mines as much story potential out as possible. Whenever a new character comes to Penguin Village, he will have a chapter where that character goes to meet every single person <laughs> in, the, in the village on the way to school. They're every Whenever it happens, Obachi Man, the new Gotchins, the Soons, whenever a new character com- becomes integrated into the main cast, there is going to be a chapter where they meet everyone else and go to the school and you just have a bunch of stories building off of that which is great but also yeah I also just love the the point going back to what we were saying change of like more names out of the mailbox as the family grows well, another thing I love about Dr. Slump and um, that's so special about it is that even though you know this is a you know silly anachronistic manga this is a manga where characters do age over the course of the serialization Arale and her classmates they start 
in middle school and by the end of the manga several characters have graduated uh, high school and they're entering jobs Arele and Akane and the rest are like seniors so it's pretty incredible that like yeah like the characters are aging they are growing and you know again that reflects that Toriyama is also aging and growing I just like the fact that there is growth in the series even though this isn't like a clock narrative driven story necessarily I just like that there is a sense of time progression but the series is growing up with you that the characters are growing up with you as the reader as well reading it you know over the period of time this was being serialized in Weekly Shonen Jump and I guess I feel kind of fortunate to be in the position that I read this as a kid over you know a span of time that also tracked a change in my life of like late elementary school to the end of my middle school years so that's pretty special feeling to, to have a series that feels like it's growing up with you well the thing that's nice about those hitting those different life markers too is that they are usually like still pretty sincere like this isn't like as crude as the comic is it's not cynical you know yeah and like no. it like that that chapter where Senbei and Midori get married is very sudden, but it's still very sweet. Like the way it's very sweet. It, like mm-hmm. the last page where he wakes up and he thinks it was a dream, but then she like comes through the door, and then there's a, it, I think a photo of him like jumping up in the air with joy. Like that's just like so like hard on your sleeve, sincere that it's kind of like takes you aback every once in a while. And there's moments like that with you know the story of saving the bear and. And things like that, where it, it gets like very sweet sometimes. And that's the thing that I like about it is that Toriyama doesn't take himself too seriously, but he's also not afraid to like be a little sappy sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah, he cares about his characters and he does ultimately want to see a lot of at least the ones that deserve it be happy so you do have these really nice sweet stories about yeah the bear chapter early on is like a great representation of the heart of the series just helping like this bear that was just trapped you know in this cage for so long by this guy who was going to make it into a coat and then you know it's rehabilitated by Arale and Senbei but when they release into wild they're shot by hunters and then you know Arale fights off the hunters and they're able to save in the nick of time by turning into a cyborg and that's really sweet oh, I love the chapter that's completely worthless that's just the gachans find a monkey in the forest that has an injured arm and they rehabilitate that monkey you know and they're a- able to heal its arm and it goes back into the wild and then months later the monkey has all grown up into this giant monkey and it's left him a lot of bananas <laughs> and it's just that's a really sweet thing that, you know, they helped out this little monkey and it grew up really big and strong and came back and repaid them the favor. And the chapter just a sweet moment of like the Gachans are still sleeping but everyone else in the family are looking back at them smiling. And it's just a really heart-tugging moment. You have a lot of nice chapters like that. Uh, you have like this peek into the future later on the series where Abachaman is like wondering about his future with Alale that ends with this sweet moment that yeah, like they do get buried in the future and Sunday builds him a little baby robot. And that's really sweet. And in the final arc in the Penguin Wheels Grand Prix you have that great moment where Abachaman at the end of the race kind of like gives up on participating because like Raleigh she was given the task of like finding like her lover and she doesn't really get what a lover is but she is told oh well what about the boy you like best and so she waits for Abachaman and Abachaman reads a note and she's, he has the note of like I don't need to win the race anymore you know I got something even more important than that and that's a sweet moment and you got stuff like that that you know 
know, it, it really makes really endear to the characters. Just these moments of sweetness between them. And it's good that, that even like characters like Senbei, who can be kind of despicable sometimes in some of their actions, also have those moments that balance it out. Like with the Donbei chapter, where he sees through like that Donbei is disguising himself and he heals him. And at the end of the chapter, when he's seeing off, he's like, hey, come back anytime, Silly Fox. So I like that he gives that emotional depth to these you know very silly characters. Can I throw a shout out real quick to the two chapter story with uh, Torahachi and how uh, Arale, after hearing from Peace about like how his old pet baby bird that he found died eventually. Yeah. And then Arale goes off to buy a bunch of baby birds and like convinces him to take care of him. And he, and he becomes a good guy again because after losing his baby bird, he becomes a bad guy and kind of a drunk. He just uh, walks around the road like all drunk and everything. No, he's just wallowing in his grief and Arale really helps this guy out find, you know, something to care about and come back to the kind person he used to be and just like taking care of these birds. And yeah, that's another like really sweet story that even that story is so interesting that, that two part because it's not even doesn't even have that many gags in it, like wacky gags. It really is just a sweet story of a rally. Here's a story about this tiger person who takes care of these baby birds. And then he's like kind of become jaded with grief. But then she, you know, gets a bunch of birds and asks him to help her take care of them. And then he really grows his heart back again in doing that. And yeah, it's just really nice that he can tell a straightforward, like sweet story like that and just let the characters sell it off the off the strength of just their earnestness kind of repeating the same point but th- you know that also mirrored Toriyama's life where he had he writes at some point about learning to feed birds and stuff so that was obviously something that he was dealing with in in his own life so yeah I love that yeah I mean the chapter that's dealing with the parting debt of a of a pet I wonder if that chapter was written also I mean obviously he was taking care of those birds but it also may have been in part inspired by feeling Feelings of kind of loss after losing his first dog, Turbo, which I think happened around that same time. So, yeah, I mean, he really, again, he is putting like a lot of his personal life into his manga, even if it's drafted to in these stories. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just on the subject of like the types of stories in Dr. Slump, like I guess uh, just to go back to that, like what are some of your favorite types of stories just in general in the series and as it goes on, especially? Mm, I have some general thoughts on this because uh, I, you know, reading through all of Dr. Slump is really interesting because I I think I might have mentioned this on the manga theater episode, but I think I've just come to realize that I love it when Toriyama is just kind of allowed to be himself, like, you know... Uh, that that also is sort of in line with like how I feel about like the Majin Buu arc because uh, mm-hmm. he uh, he clearly mm. didn't have a lot of like editorial feedback on that as far as we could tell anyway like you know w- w- with the way that's structured and how things play out like it's just so all over the place that he he gets very bored with one thing and moves immediately to another and I you know that was an energy I really felt with like the beginning of Doctor Slump where it's just like crazy off the wall like a joke machine just just joke after joke after joke. And I feel like at some point I realized like, oh man, like this manga, Dr. Slump is like really starting to kind of like mellow out and it just kind of becomes about the characters just kind of doing whatever in Penguin Village. And it's still pretty crazy here and there, but there's definitely an energy that again is there in the beginning of the series, but kind of like mellows out the more it goes on, which I think is really interesting. 
Yeah, I think that's when it starts to get really good is like after Toriyama kind of works through this formula of like Senbei makes a weird invention and Arale messes it up. And those chapters are great. Don't get me wrong. I love those chapters. But like after he's like introduced several characters and he just has them at his disposal and the comic kind of becomes more about just kind of like different characters within Penguin Village like interacting with each other Mm -hmm. and it just becomes kind of about the day-to-day life in this setting uh usually focusing on Arale not always but like I think that that's when the comic like gets great in my opinion I totally agree I love the community of Penguin Village and the cast of characters that Toriyama manages to bring up and I mentioned it before that about like how when a new character comes in they have to meet everyone in the village but I love those I love that there are chapters that are just the characters walking to school and we just see their daily routines Uh, You know, we just have chapters just exploring their daily life in Penguin Village and just kind of the fun they get up to just in their day to day lives uh, that it it doesn't even lead into a big adventure. And I like that slice of life aspect of it that, you know, it's a slight it ends up becoming kind of a slice of life series in many chapters just taking place in a very weird world. (laughs) But You know, it has that kind of very chill vibe to it still. It has that kind of, you know, very like relaxed vibe. It's not, it doesn't have to be like, oh, all craziness all the time at certain points. He really can just let the characters just play off each other and just, you know, go different places, just talk to different people. And they find a lot of story potential just in that. Yeah, I think that's what I really like about the series It's just so contained just to like Penguin Village. There's like very few chapters where they go, you know, into space and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or Metropolis Island or other places. Yeah. Well, they don't they don't need to. That's for me that the strength of how Toriyama uses Penguin Village is that it's it's weird enough that it suggests there's this bigger, weirder world right outside the margins. But we don't need to see it. The suggestion of it yeah. is enough. It works so well. Yeah. It really is like Springfield and The Simpsons. I think Penguin <laughs> goes even farther, but Springfield <laughs> is a place where, you know, any every, everything is there. Anything is there. You know, where is it in the United States? Who cares? There can be, it can be by the ocean. There can be giant mountains. Uh, there can be like big parks. The there, desert. There can be any, there's a desert. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> anything you want to be in there, it, it, it's there. It's just a place where like, you know, any place the characters want to go to, they can go to. And it's really all about the community of characters there and how they interact with each other. And that's where the most fun stories come from. And speaking of that, there is one chapter where the uh, Senbei household is like by the beach, but it, like normally it isn't. <laughs> yeah. Toriyama <laughs> changed that as that. Oh, yeah, it's, it's not supposed to be there, but just just let me have this one. Huh? It's not a big deal. That was a fun series of like uh, in between chapter columns of him <laughs> being criticized for all his continuing mistakes and begging the reader for mercy of like, hey, you'll let this one slide. You don't really care about this continuing problem. <laughs> and most of the end with him like getting a bucket of water over his head and going yark uh. <laughs> i didn't even notice them until he pointed them out too so <laughs> yeah yeah well, so, i mean him him owning his continuity errors is, is great that's that reminds me of like uh comics by uh, an artist named steve purcell who created the salmon max characters it's the same kind of just always fun weird background noise happening always something interesting to look at i think that even in the longer dr slump stories where it's not as gag heavy there's still a good five or ten jokes on almost like every single page Oh, yeah. There's always mm-hmm. something. 
Yeah, and then you're kind of like, he's giving himself permission to just do whatever because he can make fun of it himself for not following a continuity or whatever. Yeah, he's he's letting the reader in on it and letting himself off the hook at the same time. It's it's quite brilliant. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love when that setting kind of like solidifies as more tropical. I, th- I feel like it started out more kind of rural and in the mountains because that was like kind of what he thought was funny and interesting. And then more and more, I think towards the end of the series, there's just like palm trees and everywhere and and uh you know flowers and stuff that you might find in okinawa (laughs) yeah and he was also inspired a lot about like this idea of kind of like an american noun so it's a little bit multicultural too in some aspects and that's also why it's populated by all sorts of different creatures just to get that feel of it but yeah, I mean, it's really, really nice. I mean, I definitely, I think part of the reason that he said it in a tropical or, or said it in a rural setting is so that he could just draw, you know, hills in the background. When he started out, he didn't even have an assistant and stuff. So, you know, keep it simple. Toriyama's very smart about that. But, you know, I mean, huge credit to his Washi and Matsuyama, his assistants who, be, who basically cops do, like, in one chapter, you say, oh, this is Matsuyama. This is the guy who basically does all the backgrounds. <laughs> he very is honest with, like, hey, this is what uh, this guy does, and this is, like, kind of what I'm interested in and drawing and stuff like that, which I appreciate. And I think it's definitely reflected in in the content of the story and the setting of the story. Uh, I mean, do we do we have any other like I guess chapters or stories we, that we wanted to highlight? Or well, an overall trend I kind of want to once again to talk about that I find interesting is is again just this idea of like when Toriyama. I mean, Toriyama talks that about like how you know throughout Doctor Slump he was like kind of <laughs> feeling overburdened by the fact of like oh my god I can't keep up coming up with new ideas for this every week. And from very early on, he was like, I got to find a way to end this and do something else. But they wouldn't <laughs> let him because it was such a big hit. So unless he come up with a better idea, which is why it took years until they finally hit on something with potential with Dragon Ball. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I find it interesting that as Toriyama goes along, he starts to learn that, hey, again, when I can introduce like a new a character, I can introduce a storyline. I can keep this going for a while and I'll try and mine everything I can out of this story and that's why as the series is on I think you start to see less like episodic stories and more storylines where one story will go on for a long time or interesting sometimes stories that even though they you know uh, individually maybe on different topics they're all leading and building up on top of each other one of the instances of this that i find most interesting is like in volume 12 with the sequence of chapters that starts with like kind of the aliens that come to earth like the one alien that you know they break their ship and it crash lands and they help repair it uh, help it signal uh it's kind without realizing that this alien has come to like destroy the earth and stuff but then they befriended and stuff but in the aftermath of that you know they are left behind the alien spaceship and then senbei takes that and makes the anti-gravity device for the students to repair the Retsugo. But that doesn't work. So in the afternoon of that story, he contacts King Nikochan after he like perfects it. And that leads to the storyline of them uh, returning Nikochan back to his own planet. So I like how he finds ways to like connect stories together and create a narrative through that. And then we see him build upon that even more with the Obachimon storyline, which is like a volume and a half of like unbroken kind of one chapter directly 
connects to the next chapter. Uh, even in the aftermath of that, when Abachiman and Arale are like kind of broken in the Battle of Karma number eight, you have just a series of chapters with Senbei trying out different things, uh, trying to fix their bodies or shenanigans happening like a rarely wearing uh, Abachiman's body and stuff like that. And that goes on for a while too. So I just like that he finds the opportunity to like hey you know i can use something that happened in this story as a starting point for a next story and he's able to make things a little easier for himself that way rather than trying to come up with, with a new idea whole cloth and that kind of storytelling i think building up that idea of serialized storytelling is i think something that he really was able to put to good use in Dragon Ball, which is just like ultimately a collection of arcs that have just one driving trust to each of them that build off of the previous chapter and the events of the previous chapter one after the next. Yeah, I do think that like you touched on this, but like the big kind of secret uh, in (laughs) weekly comics is that, yeah, if you're doing episodic things like strips every week or every day that are one-off gags, you have to come up with a new idea each time. And so once you start to see cartoonists like doing these long longer storylines that is sometimes a little bit of like evidence that they're running out of gas a little bit because they're you know well what if i came up with one idea that will be stretched over a month or two you know and i do feel that towards the end of dr slump you get a lot more of these uh extended storylines mm-hmm. yeah um and you know i think it is maybe that he's just starting to kind of run out of feeling like he can do new stuff with the characters and having to do these big races and things like that and that's when the comic starts like not being quite as good to me but like it's still great it's just uh you can tell that he's kind of losing steam a little bit mm-hmm. um but a thing that I think is interesting about Toriyama in this idea of like kind of the progression of the comic is that it really struck me this read through that he's a guy who can like (laughs) repeatedly, you know, quote unquote, jump the shark, but like (laughs) make it work and make the comic even better uh, that way. Like, you know, things like Senbei getting married or introducing a boy version of a Raleigh or Senbei having a baby, all of these moves. The idea the idea of a love interest for Arale is like absurd on its face, but he like <laughs> makes it work. Yeah. It's yeah. like the best part of the comic. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is that is probably like in tr- yeah, in terms of narrative, like what Lum was saying, the way he strings the the, the chapters of Obacha Man together, yeah, that is incredibly addictive reading. And especially because it, the kid is a is a clear pastiche of Astro Boy, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and Anna Bochaman's so funny. Like the the sort of strength of Arale, but being like the most polite boy, like <laughs> yeah. being kind it's of really good. the <laughs> kind of like the you know negaverse uh, evil version of Arale <laughs> is actually the nicest person. Is actually <laughs> extremely nice and polite, and of course he finds her irresistible. You know. Yeah, <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, it's so good. And you got and you got the shot of her you know picking her nose oh man like it, it really becomes the obacha man show for a while there and i really wasn't expecting that for yeah for for some yeah. time mm-hmm. i don't know i i think personally those are like maybe some of the strongest stretch of the manga i would say even mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. terms of like how invested i was in it and like how how fun it was to read and it would uh, obacha man is like a genuinely really fun character to follow so you know i, I got to a point where i was like Man, Abacha Man, we've been like following this character for feels like twenty chapters now. I'm not complaining. I don't really want it to end. I'm cool with however long Toriyama wants to milk this. It's fine. <laughs> 
Yeah, I love him so much. Anytime I reread or, or watch through the series, I'm always like, when does Obuchiman show up? Because he's like, my, <laughs> he's yeah. the one I want to see the most. He's so fun. <laughs> and he doesn't show up until the last third of the series. You have yeah, to wait yeah. until the 13th volume. Man. Yeah. But once he becomes a part of it, you know, he becomes an indelible part of it that you can't imagine the series uh, as it continues without because he really has a good dynamic. I will say my favorite bit from that is that he steals Superman's house. Yeah. <laughs> and just straight up lifts it up and, and just stays it. it just does like... it so harmlessly too. Just make it so funny. It's just he really thinks that the, he just finds this abandoned house in the wild and he just takes it. And like then... Superman just accepts it and just lives in a tent. Yeah. Like the rest of the series, I'm like, oh my God. Uh, Low key, he kind of deserves it though. Yeah. I, I don't really feel bad for him, so... Well, that's 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 typical of Superman. I mean, S- Superman is one of my favorite comics characters, and Toriyama hit on something great because you know, as what we've also seen with with Bizarro in, in DC Comics, like the only thing better than Superman is like this idea of like a weird, sideways, lame Superman. <laughs> yeah, just a completely selfish and self-absorbed yeah. person. Self-absorbed, you know, and, and you know, best of all, has no real powers to speak of. He just you know bears a passing resemblance to the character and uh, is self-important and kind of violent. He can't even fly so he slides around on his belly on a skateboard. I was laughing so hard when I got to that chapter. Well, it's genius. When I when I was a little kid, that's how I pretended to fly like Superman. I slid around on my belly on a skateboard. It's like, how did Toriyama know? It's because all children around the world do that. Yeah, that's Absolutely. amazing. I will say I didn't throw grenades at people that mocked me, though. So. That's that just so petty. He goes just so fragile that anyone who insults him is like, don't mock the champion of justice. Oh, that just shows a lack of access to grenades <laughs> on your part. <laughs> and then he also just switches sides immediately. Yeah, I love the Penguin Village Wars, where he immediately, when it, he thinks that Arali and the Gotchen are defeated, he switches to Mashirito's side. Oh, he's he's an inveterate coward. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, I weirdly thought for a while that, like, him and Boobibin Man were, like, the same character, almost. Mm-hmm. And Parzan. Yeah, they have, like, the same face caricature yeah but being a man also is like also it's another he has two superman parodies basically could be his being an man's factory is also pretty similar uh, he literally eats shit later and it's like one of the funniest things that, ever uh, that chapter yep. <laughs> yeah poop is always funny especially when it gets in your mouth by accident mm-hmm. especially when drops <laughs> <laughs> it all coiled up easily mistaken for ice cream as is the case since the manga several times people fall victim to the trick that was the worst chapter for me, even though I liked the character. <laughs> well, wasn't that the chapter also that ended in like the you know the spiral pile of poop maze where you had to escape it? Yes. And then there's, yeah. like, there's a little inset drawing of Superman with his tongue out. It's like, Jesus, yeah, it's, it's horrible. Oh. I hated that chapter. <laughs> Our hero Superman. I will say some of my favorite chapters, though, are ones that I was drawing parallels from because, you know, I've already seen, you know, Dragon Ball, you know, and played Dragon Quest and played Chrono Trigger and all that. And there's just some chapters that have like uh, one where it's just a fantasy where Senbei has to go and get toilet paper. (laughs) It's literally just a Dragon Quest chapter. That's oh, yeah, pretty great. Yeah. And also, like, in any of the chapter title pages that have uh, Arale in any kind of, like, tactical gear, she just looks exactly like Luca from, from Chrono Trigger. <laughs> yeah, and there is one where they do go back in time. It's like, I don't know how far back, but I think it was with Parzan. 
And like you can see like Akane and uh, uh, Midori, they have like the same design as Aleph, basically. <laughs> and there was also this uh, the chapter where they wanted to like steal sweet potatoes. <laughs> and I know I posted it, but there's one chapter where or there's one panel where Akane has it like in her hand. And I'm like, this is literally the Marge uh, meme where she's like, I just think it's neat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Very good. totally. I mean, you can totally see like the similarities to visual ideas and designs that get fleshed out in Toriyama's later stuff like Dragon Wisdoms and also in Dragon Ball you see like visual character designs and motifs that get reappropriated there and also just ideas in general obviously the idea of competition he's been on record saying I took this from Dr. Slump but pretty much exactly <laughs> there is a strongest man in the world strongest person in the world competition in the series that is the Tenkaichi Budokai right down to the fact that it, the, of the structure of like four quarterfinals to two semifinals one final match yeah there's also one chapter I did like that um I think it was a uh, two or three chapters in length but it was one where they get this guy who was a galactic policeman oh man <laughs> mm-hmm. and it just reminds me of Jocko the galactic patrolman I mean doesn't doesn't Akane's uh, boyfriend like the you know kung the karate Yamcha. doesn't he show up in the Tenkaichi Budokai in Dragon Ball yes he does yeah. I don't know which ones if he does in all of them but I know he's in the first first one in Dragon Ball Oh, yeah. I mean, he's in all of them, Yamcha. Yeah. But that chapter, like, really had a lot of Dragon Ball in it. Like, the flow of the fight in the in one of the chapters there, that was really, like... You could tell he wanted to draw fights. I mean, Sukasun in personality is, like, very similar to Yamcha in terms oh, of, like, absolutely. this very nervous kung fu boy. He gets very shy around women uh, to a building degree. Uh, he has an animal association, in his case, a tiger, and he transforms into a tiger, which honestly, I thought it happened more than uh, it actually does in my memory, but really does not come to play in most of the stories, even in like the big arc that he's the center of uh, towards the end of the series, which is mostly an action arc of him rescuing Akane when she's mistaken for like a princess. Like even then, he really doesn't transform into the tiger and use it, fight in that form, really. But that also feels like a very prototype drag. Dragon Ball arc in terms of or in type of thing in terms of like being so action focused of like you're fighting on this plane uh, Zeppelin thing and then the terms of the combat in terms of like it's and having this kind of rage inspired uh, power up where his hair starts to stand up mm-hmm. and his eyes kind of go white and glaze over and he gets all buff well, he gets a lot stronger suddenly and starts beating up the opponent and of course the lamp genie or the teapot genie rather he's you know the, the idea that some of the the look of that the, the Ringo Nights expired thing it's like very much oh this is you know you can draw similarities to Boo from this yeah so, yeah it's it's very a Dragon Ball feely story there and you can I think you see Toriyama in trying to explore some more like action ideas in later parts of the manga he is kind of getting in that headspace of like okay how would I like go about drawing kind of like a more straightforward action comic in certain aspects. Isn't there a bit later on in the manga with Mashirito where, like, he he uses these, like, little camera droids to basically record people around Penguin Village and, like, use that as data or something? Yeah, very Dr. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, huh, that sounds that looks that sounds familiar. Where have I seen that before? Um also I just want to say really quickly, going back to that tournament, that tournament was uh fast even by Toriyama standards. Like, I don't think like it's it's his shortest tournament, the shortest one he's ever drawn and written. I mean, yeah, it's less <laughs> it's only like 
five-ish chapters, so it goes by at a good clip, but, you know, what variety of, like, different characters he's able to draw, like, he... <laughs> and I like that he has, you know, his uh, Godzilla parody character in that, make it to, like, the semi-finals, essentially. <laughs> like, you know, he has established characters BB in the first round, but, like, kind of original characters make it far on that. But it's a really good, fun arc in terms of having these different matchups. <laughs> playing around with different just crazy character ideas and you see a lot of that in the first Tenkaichi Budokai where Toriyama can't has the freedom to introduce like more like kind of you know new characters you don't know yet as opposed to like later on when you get to the third Budokai where it's like okay all these characters we know like we're just seeing like these fights play out but I like that fun spontaneity of it and the the variety of different characters and concepts he can work into the the tournament storylines. So here, I don't know about you guys, uh, I'm actually really interested in getting to the part of the show where we talk about our criticisms with Dr. Slump, because there's so many many good things we could say about it, and we could easily go on for hours and hours, but we won't, I promise. Um, But I think we should get to some of the, like, the few things I really wasn't a fan of about Dr. Slump in general. Because I, I do have one or two things I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I def- I mean, we'll definitely get back to us singing our praises of other things. We got some good Q&As that'll lead us back into that direction. But yeah, I, I want to address this as well. And I mean, uh, why don't you go first, Colton? I'm curious to hear about some of yours. Um, so generally speaking, Dr. Slump is definitely one of those comics where I like almost every character. And... I don't know. Like, I had a lot of mixed feelings in general when, like, the Sudo family, like, started joining up. Because, like... The students. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I like most of those characters, but I did have this weird feeling, and and you guys can let me know if I'm, like, off base, but I, I had this weird feeling that, like, I'm mixed because it's, like, I like some of their stories, and I think they could be fun, but also, like, I feel weird liking them because I feel like there's something, like, kind of slightly racist about them, just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they're speaking in broken English. English and uh, a lot of broken, I mean, broken Japanese in the original, and they're policing in a lot of gibberish. Yeah, it's it's the same as 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 shampoo and her clan and exactly. Ramon half, where it's it's the it's the the gag is they they keep misconjugating aru and a couple of other key verbs, and and yeah, that's that's the shorthand for the wacky Chinese accent. Mm-hmm. The slump goes even farther with like the random wrong words that they'll say in their dialogue. Like in the f- introduction chapters in particular, they're just a lot of nonsense speak almost that they're talking. Yeah, like their first introduction, I had a hard time trying to same, read through it as well. Same, same, yes. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Viz kind of like backed off on that a little bit. Yeah, it's particularly for Sukasun and Sururin. Most of that drops away. They may drop a word here or there. They end their sentences with yes, so most of that goes away. Uh, but especially early on, it is not only just hard to read, but like it is like, well, this is definitely a caricature. Uh, it's not very funny. It doesn't necessarily even, I, I don't know how funny it is in original Japanese. It certainly doesn't translate the best, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure the translator tried their best, but you know, it's just, it's rooted in you know, stereotyping. No, for like, sure. That, oh, broken English and not getting words wrong, not making sense. Colton, I'll, t- I'll take this a step further and say I just don't even really like those characters, like, uh, much at all. They're just not that interesting fair. to me. I like Tudorin is okay. Um, I, I don't know. I just, they, they don't seem to, like, they always feel very separate from the community, even after they start, like, dating other members of the of the, the community, but they just, they just feel like they don't quite mesh with the rest of the 
comic to me. I can and see that. They're just not that interesting. I don't know. Like, Tsukutsun gets some, like, action stuff later on that I also is, like, not exactly what I want from Dr. Slump. And the parents are just, like, nothing. They're just, like, they might as well not even be there. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to say that uh, the Suru Ten, the father, I hate that character. He's my least favorite character, I think he's yeah. the worst character in Dr. Slump. I mean, and a lot of that has to do with, like, my utter kind of brief criticism of Dr. Slump is just you know, in terms of overall things is that, you know, there's a lot of sexual harassment assault jokes uh, that aren't good. They're not in good taste. Yeah, it leans it leans on perversion and sexual harassment as gags yeah. over and over again. I mean, it, yeah. it, you know, he eventually finds other things to do, but that's that that is definitely a go to of his, particularly in, in the early part of the series. Yeah, that was like not good. And at least sometimes in Senbei's case, it's a tough pill I can swallow, at least because at least other characters are oblivious and they aren't they aren't harmed or they aren't like directly aware. So in that sense, it's kind of like, well, he's not directly harming anyone. He ultimately gets his comeuppance sometimes. But with Suru Ten, it's, you know, he, there are many instances where he's like very brazen and very gross, just directly to people and making people uncomfortable. The worst scene of his misdeeds is when he like tries to peek at his own daughter's panties. And that is the oh, that's so bad. I hate it. And, uh, <laughs> immediately just makes his character a scumbag. Yeah, that, that's uh, terrible. I can't defense. Like, I also don't like, uh, you know, Senbei, you know, his perversions, Midori. Like, even after they get married, he still is trying to peek at her panties or, like, find ways to violate her privacy. And he's also perving on other women. But he never does anything quite as gross as that, even though I also don't want to excuse anything that Senbei does. But at least Senbei, at least Senbei, I want to say, there are other aspects to his character. There's more to Senbei's character that you can like that you can appreciate yeah he does like have a kind side mm-hmm. but suratan there is nothing else to that character beside on being an irredeemable pervert yeah and his wife beating him up and so i can agree with you joy like the parents especially you know that's that's all there is to suratan he's a pervy old man and then the wife she is punishes him when he acts pervy in front of her and that's all there is to them i but i do really like sururin and sukusu and i think they're Nice characters. Um, I can see what you're saying about Sukuzun King, kind of more of a boring character, especially like, uh, you know, when he, because the story, his big storyline becomes very action focused and it does feel kind of out of place of like kind of the, the tone of the rest of Slump sometimes, in a little bit outside of a few gags, like the teapot monster, like punching a relay through the ground and her crashing through the moon in a satellite. <laughs> Or crashing back in the ground. That <laughs> was the good. best part. But um Yeah, I mean I think they're fine. I'm not mad that they're there, you know, I'm not like get these characters out of here, but I'm just less interested in them than a lot of the other characters. No, I totally get it. But I really like Sururin's uh telekinetic powers and how she can put that to use in fun ways. I think that their big like kind of intro storyline of like the sports festival and Sururin uh using her powers to cheat and then help other members of the third year class cheat was a lot of fun. So I I, I think that was a good showcase for her character and I think of the family she ends up kind of coming out to be the most uh entertaining yeah i mean i i definitely get the impression that toriyama you know created this this set of of wacky gag characters uh, you know hilarious ethnic stereotype characters and then realized that with the kids at least he had interesting characters that he that he ought to do something with and uh their parents he just never really figured out so they just remained this 
preposterous, you know, anime lock horns. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> M- miserable, miserable, unpleasant married couple. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. A, married, being married, am I right? Um, no, but yeah. um, <laughs> the, the thing that I kind of dislike most about Sudoten, you know, uh, besides the scene that Lum brought up earlier, which I think is like the worst moment in all of Dr. Slump, hands down, um, is the fact that like, not only is his shtick just not that funny, like, I feel like it, uh, like there are times where like it actively kind of eggs on Senbei's perviness and like kind of makes him he he makes other characters like Senbei worse just by being around because he has because mm-hmm. he has like another character like to be pervy with when I really feel like there was a point where you know Senbei starts off kind of pervy and I think there was a point where like Toriyama just kind of stopped doing that stuff for a bit and then right as soon as Suruten you know shows up and the rest of his family like that part of Senbei is constantly egged on every time they're both on screen together and I, I dislike that. I totally agree that's something I noticed is that early on and Dr. Slump is leaning heavier into Senbei being a pervert and storylines being centered around him wanting to perv on women like the Rue Goldberg uh, kind of scheme he had to see <sighs> Midori's panties yep. and stuff like that but as this, the series went on towards like the early middle of it like that kind of dropped away wasn't as big a focus with his character yeah. but then yeah when Surtang came back we have immediately this chapter of him learning about Senbei's like street through glasses and like saying hey we gotta use these to go peep on women and they get away with it for most of the chapter until like they wackily oh they because the see through goggles you know they see through buildings so they can't see that they've walked into a woman's bat but like yeah we get kind of more bold and uncomfortable like pervy chapters we get that aspect of Senbei's characters brought back so even isolated even outside of the Suraten like Senbei also his pervy style pops up more and we have that chapter when he becomes like the fly like he goes to oh, uh, no. Dory's boobs and then his crotch <laughs> and it's like and also again there's repeated stuff of like him wanting to perv on his own wife and then also on other women it's it i feel like somehow toriyama's perviness it got brought back in full force uh towards the later middle of the series yeah there's one chapter that he loses turbo while he's speaking on a woman yeah too. no i mean first of all what a great cliffhanger to the chapter of like turbo being hit by the alien spaceship like i imagine reading that weekly and being like send me midori's baby just born at the end of the chapter is hit by a spaceship what's gonna happen it yeah. is dead <laughs> it is dead he dies he gets brought back but he does die it's 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 pretty wild but you know i mean yeah the fact that the reason it happens is because senbei you know he's perving on women it is uh, in some sense it's a funny misunderstanding but it also you know it's him being gay pb tom and being a gross creep so it's not great Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i think this mirrors a lot of the discussion we actually had in our Dragon Ball episode about this mm-hmm. stuff where it's like the issue w- one of the problems is that because Toriyama is so good at constructing jokes like a lot of these are like it like well constructed jokes yeah. yeah but then they kind of have gross topics like and and then the other problem is that it's a thing that really makes it hard for me to recommend to people because it is so heavy so early on in the series yeah. like Right. Um, the same thing with Dragon Ball, where all that stuff is really concentrated in the first few volumes. Like in Doctor Slump, it's like the first like two or three chapters are all about this stuff, and and there's like that chapter where it's like I don't have a blank under there, and it ends up being that she's talking about her belly button or whatever. Like that's a good joke, but it's also kind of gross. And it, and and I've definitely seen I've seen it turn people off. Like try yeah. to read it, and the first like couple chapters they read, they're like, what is this? 
why would I want to read this? You know, and, you know, it, and I think Dragon Ball has enough of a reputation that it, people push through that. But I've definitely like had people tell me that they tried Dr. Slump, but that, you know, it didn't mesh with them because of these reasons. And, you know, it sucks because it's like it does kind of fade a little bit uh, after a while. Yeah, at least with the vault system, if you were to give someone kind of a curated list of like, hey, here's chapters you should read and here's some that you should avoid if you don't want to engage with this content, you have a better chance of doing that. But yeah, it's hard to like recommend this book to kids because mm-hmm. there is a lot of sexual content and particularly sexual assault jokes that are about characters wanting to harass or assault or peep on women is like mm-hmm. very uncomfortable and you know as a kid i <laughs> engaged the series without like really paying mind but that's uh kind of like not a day it's a, not a thing you want to encourage with kids to read these things and just take it at face value and not realize hey these are things that are is not okay they're make people uncomfortable they hurt people and they cannot be like condoned and they're not just silly things you can just lab off uh as is the case in the series it's like oh people most of the characters shrug it off without any consequence Yeah, and I mean, that chapter was just the gag of the belly button, but like it really doesn't add any value to it. So it's like you could totally skip it. Yeah, especially like the see-through glasses, they only are brought up again. In that other chapter, I think (laughs) most people should skip. Uh, So, you know, you're not losing too much there. But yeah, it's still a series that is one that... I think you could recommend to kids if you were to make sure that you are being responsible of like telling them, hey, these are things that happen and that we need to explain to you that is not okay. Or also having, again, that curated list of chapters of like, hey, read these. And if since you're reading on the vault, you can very easily just not read chapters that have content that are uh, questionable. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't considered that. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a parent myself. I'm an I'm an uncle to, to kids that that did read Doctor Slump when they were like 12 and 14, and that that I think is a pretty good age where it's just like you can give a ki- a kid that age uh, that this kind of content and trust them to realize oh this this part here is kind of gross and dated and uh, let's get through it. Yeah, I think you can trust kids at a certain age to have learned better or to know better. Well, hopefully, as a parent, you have taught them by that age. And then, yeah, I mean, kids can engage with, you know, I mean, I guess I can speak from example. They can engage with these things and understand the difference between, like, humor in a comic and what's acceptable to do in real life and stuff like that. It's interesting to talk about this stuff in detail um, just because uh, it's it was very easy for me when I was reading Dr. Slump to just look past it because there's so much humor in anime and manga that is just about you know casual ridiculous perversion you know just just in, just thinking of stuff like city hunter and ronma one half and just like yeah it was it was omnipresent especially in the 80s yeah as anime fans we're definitely numb to it uh, yeah. because yeah it's common trope stuff yeah but to all these imperfections the, the racial stereotyping the, the the sex stuff it's just like well i th- I, I still say dr slump is is perhaps the greatest comic it's you know it's not a perfect comic no, mm-hmm. for sure. Right. I think totally we can engage with these quans and these things that I think are right to criticize, but still come out by saying, hey, you know, the work as a whole just has so much value and just so much good in it that, mm-hmm. you know, it's still incredibly entertaining as media, as entertainment, as it has so much value as art to just appreciate. So, you know, it's you take the bad with the good and there's just a, thankfully a lot of good in it. Uh, I guess I one other aspect of uh, the racial stereotyping in the series that I do want to address 
Callisto is that the version of Dr. Sump that uh, we read in the Viz edition, obviously there is additional censorship by Viz of particularly black characters erasing, you know, kind of the exaggerated lips and filling them in and stuff. But the version that we also read was also censored in Japan because uh, the version Viz draws from is the 1995 Bunko edition that was a re-edited release uh, from the original where a lot of black stereotypes, particularly black Sambo-X character designs, were re-edited uh, into different characters that kind of got away from the stereotyping. Some notable examples include kind of the Sunday Brothers, the group of six little guys uh, on the American baseball team, uh, the robots in the version we read. Uh, originally, they were little black Sambos. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, different types of examples of that. The characters that kidnap Midori in the honeymoon chapters, uh, also little black samples, not cats. Uh, a later story in the series, uh, Superman dresses up Akane and Arale in blackface to present them as yeah. people from the Blue Cat Isle. Um, that's edited in this version. So, you know, it's just interesting. I wanted to address this because this is a version that was edited already in the original Japanese. Like okay. in 1990... The Association to Eliminate Black Discrimination, uh, which is a group that was founded in 88 uh, to, you know, ban Little Black Samba and other derogatory depictions of black people in Japanese media. In 1990, they protested racially insensitive depictions of black people in Dr. Slump and other jump comics like Hochikami and Burlington Wildman and such. And in response to that, uh, Shueisha went back to the series when they re-released and re-edited this artwork. So I just wanted to address that, that the censorship in the manga uh, of these depictions, it was repressed in... In Japan. It's not just like, oh, American edits for sensitivity. Like, this has been acknowledged as wrong in Japan and has been uh, corrected and amended. Uh, though, of course, not across the entirety of Toriyama's body of work. You know, Mr. Popo is unedited. Uh, we read manga theater in the original Japanese, a lot of that. Some of the racial stereotype and that has been unedited. But, you know, I think it's just important to acknowledge just this point of that, you know, there were like kind of a, a thought process that has a long history of like how black hair has been depicted in Japanese media. But that it has faced backlash and criticism within Japan itself. That I think has been a good thing that to see these edits been made. It's interesting because I know that there are some fans who take a dim view of any kind of revision of this type at all. But um, for me, I you know I read through the English version and never, I knew that there were some some alterations like this. I, I never gave it much thought. Me uh, neither. At this yeah. point, mm -hmm. I tr I trust both Shueisha and Viz to make good choices to preserve the best parts and uh, and make minimal changes just just to get rid of the really weird stuff. You know. Yeah. 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 I mean, as far as uh, other Viz edits goes, I mean they just remove stuff that, you know, for an old ages audience would be, you know, questionable, like minors uh, drinking alcohol, uh, early chapter super changing punch. that super to punch. super punch, <laughs> uh, removing tar instances of taro smoking in particular, uh, various nudity, especially of minors. Yeah, see, see the, nu the nudity I get. I will say that, yeah, taking out the, the kids smoking and drinking, I, I have a little of a bit of a problem with that because children smoking and drinking is hilarious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, although Super Punch is a pretty funny edit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it, it kind of it makes obvious what's going on, you know? No, yeah. it, 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 it took me a second, but then I realized, oh, wait, that's supposed to be alcohol. 
Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like awkward and makes you pause for a minute, but you know, it is what it is. I'm just happy to get it in English in general. Same. You know? Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. And the translation, Alexander Osmith did a very good job. Very veteran translator, mostly in video game work. This is one of his like few manga titles, but they did a really good job in preserving the humor of Toriyama. And when things like need to be updated, uh, updating them in a kind of a seamless way that, you know, the joke still flies for uh, the U.S. readership that you might not even realize that something has been edited, which I think, you know, localization overall has been done very well. I think so, too. I was going to say, I love the simplicity of taking, you know, the Superman's real name, which is, of course, Clark Kent, and saying, well, wait a minute, that you can do that in Japanese because it's just katakana, but you can't do that in English because that's that's a real... Co- <laughs> and so they just call him Clark Kenta. It's just like, that's uh, that's such a simple, obvious solution, <laughs> and I had never thought of that <laughs> until I read the English version. It's like, oh, genius. That's good localization. No, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, so Lum, what do you think about getting the questions and maybe kind of getting back to what we love about Dr. Slump? I think this is a good part to pivot to that. And then at the end of that, we can give like our final thoughts recommendation though. I think we all, if you haven't heard already, though, we have some criticisms overall where we believe Dr. Slump is one of the best comics ever published, if not the best, uh, very near and dear to us. But yeah, we had some really great questions and comments from folks on Twitter, especially starting off with just comments, you know, from Omega Dez, Dragon Ball Superior Ancestor. Well, uh, I think most of us uh, would agree uh, in terms of we love this comic a lot and it it's its ancestor. I'm sure other Dragon Ball fans who literally don't engage with any of other Toriyama's things would be like, what are you talking about? Dragon Ball's good. That Dr. Slump shit, get it out of here. There's not even any fights. Dragon Ball fans who take Dragon Ball more seriously than Toriyama himself in particular. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Dragon Ball fandom is is pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Now for a fun question that takes us back to our childhoods, Carlo V has a question for us about have we ever tried putting poop on a stick and running around with it? And if not, what stupid and gross thing did we do as kids? Oh boy. Uh, I never put poop on a stick. Um, Keep in mind, I was a very young kid. I was definitely younger than 10 when I did this. I have a very early memory of like finding ants and just uh, like eating one or two of them. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. (laughs) I'm sure they tasted oh, great. I for sure did that. I, I was going to say, in terms in terms of eating things that are not going to harm you, but you're not really supposed to. You know, I I I've sampled Play-Doh, and uh, oh yeah, and, and Very school. Salty. You know, the the, the, the paste. You, you you know, the big jars of paste you get at school. Yeah, that's that's that was that was interesting to snack on as a five year old. And, and of no. course, the time the time honored tradition of dipping your hand into the vat of glue and then letting it dry, and then you get to peel it off like it's you a second it skin. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. Incredibly satisfying, especially when you're six years old. And also just completely gross. When, when, when I would see like cartoon characters eat like glue or paste, it'd be like, but but what if though? What if I did that? Like it almost made me consider it, but I never did it. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I should go the stupid route or the gross route. <laughs> Either one's good. <laughs> okay. I will say for the gross, it is poop related. But when I was a little kid, I lived in a ranch. So there's really not much to do. We used to have a golf club. We used to just like put cow pies <laughs> to see how far they would go <laughs> that's gross and extremely good that's funny yeah look we didn't have internet okay <laughs> no that's fair what are you supposed to do when you don't have internet yeah exactly <laughs> you put poop around <laughs> that's pretty great and as far as stupid i did try lemon like scented soap before okay i thought it would taste like lemons. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was really little. That, that's okay. fair. That's fair. Yeah, I, I drank a whole bottle of cough syrup and had to go to the hospital. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. It tasted so oh, good. My gosh. That's, that's exciting. Uh, did you at least get a good high? Uh, I couldn't tell you. I don't remember it. This is more like a family story. I was pretty young at that point. <laughs> but that's definitely stupid. Maybe not so gross. Um, yeah, I think one of the like kind of brilliant things about Dr. Slump is the coloring of the poop uh, pink. Oh, yeah. Which yeah. like makes it like weirdly more palatable because it's more abstracted or something like that. It makes that. it cute. Yeah. Yeah, cute. It it's very important for the poop to be cute. Look, if it was brown, I would not even, I would drop yeah. the show so If it was like brown and runny and had stink lines, yeah, just like that would be much no, harder thanks. to deal with. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I almost dropped it whenever the um, boo booby man ate it. I was like, no, this is too much. Yeah. <laughs> That really just made me want to read it more. Like, oh, this is this is this is this is some, well, this is some of the funniest comics like... I've ever read. Yeah, I want to throw up. That, that's Man, fair. Toriyama doesn't shy away also from characters like pooping in the on series, like uh, King Nico Chan. <laughs> moment where he we see him like poop out his little poop ball from He's his like, head. I have to bend forward. To poop Biker boy. Like... One of the best parts about him is that he has these assless pants. <laughs> <laughs> because the whole idea with Biker Boy is that he can't stop riding his bike otherwise because he has this disease that if he stops his bike, he's going to die. So he has his assless pants so that he can just poop while riding his bike and shoot it out of his What a terrible existence. <laughs> but I think we've all eaten things we weren't yeah. supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, For sure. Erasers and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I used to chew on erasers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but so we're very much like the gotchins you know that they, they are a representation in the series gotchins eat everything i mean i don't know if we ate a bunch of metal ourselves but you know in terms of that kind of the voraciousness of kids of just having just the instinct to put anything in your mouth and see mm-hmm. if you can swallow it you know oh yeah that's that's a that's a great expression of that kind of personality and eaters of children but yeah, now we got kind of questions about our favorite characters from Hozon Kai and Taki at Obichiman. And yeah, so I guess we are asked for our top five favorite characters from Hozon Kai. And uh, I don't know if we want to elaborate too much on them. I know we're putting them in on time. I, did, I didn't really do a top five, but there, 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 is, there is something I did want to do. Sh- sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let, 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 me, let me see if I get this right. This amazing stranger from the planet Okakameboshi, the man of sour candy, Superman, empowered with hand grenades, possessing no powers to speak of, Superman fights a never-ending battle for no particular reason, disguised as a mild-mannered TV reporter, Clark Kenta. There's my favorite. That was great. Very that good. was amazing. <laughs> if they ever do another Double Doctor Slump, you got to play Superman. Yeah, that was uh, that was kind of a boulderization of like the old Fleischer uh, cartoon mm-hmm. Superman from the from the 1940s. That was the opening monologue about the character. It's okay, Mike. Nice. You could just say you were just recording your demo. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. But yeah, a, a, a Superman uh, amused me immediately. And again, it's it's the idea of Superman but lame and. It's Superman is such a good version of that. I just never get tired of laughing at that dude. He is a fun character. Absolutely. Um, Actually, Lum, you mentioned King Nico Chan earlier. He might be my favorite because of like, like, and uh, he, I don't know what it is. And maybe I'm onto something. He gives off a lot of like peel off energy to me. 
And, yeah. and maybe that's why oh, I like yeah. gravitate towards him. And also like he poops out of his head and, and his and his feet are ears. Like I don't know what else you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. What is a fun weird dude? I love them a lot. Yeah, it's such a funny design and so immediately grabbing. Yeah, some favorite characters. I mean, of course, Arale and Obochaman are both some favorites of mine. But one favorite character of mine that hasn't come up yet is Kinoko. Um, oh, oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I love Kinoko. And I feel like she's a character who kind of like I took for granted at first and then kind of eventually kind of it really clicked with me that she's so all about being hip and cool and everybody yeah, else is, yeah. is not cool. And she herself is actually just like the uncoolest, you know? <laughs> yeah. I will, <laughs> I will say her little car and like the radio she drags around is really yeah. good. Yeah, she's a little girl with an old school fashion sense and we're it's talking amazing. but she thinks she's totally hip. It's very funny <laughs> premise for a character. Well, the, the idea of like a three-year-old consciously trying to be cool is like that that's comedy that's very good comedy oh yeah yeah it's great and sometimes her tricycle has a little common writer head uh on the front that's of right. it oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I love her um for me i would say i mean yeah besides you know aurelia and obachamon um i would say akane just because like she tries to act like she's the cool girl <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. she's like yeah i'm bad but she's not really and there's like just one chapter i really liked where uh i think i really had to do like a task and she's like tries to get a connie to help her and she's like we'll just get ramen at the grocery store and she's like what's a grocery store and instead of like explaining a is like look i'm tired i'm too pissed to do this i'm just gonna take you with me <laughs> and i'm just like Relatable. i need a connie's energy yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, i love how much of a troublemaker she is especially trying to mess with like senbei and other adults like midori and especially later the other teacher the guy with the big just not head and yeah. messing with him it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun mm-hmm. yeah headbed of love i guess i'm last and yeah uh so i mean i love so many characters but i'm gonna go with dr mashirito i just loved his storylines i love whenever he showed him series. i mean i get just the sheer idea that the premise the inspiration of his character is Toriyama's editor and he's placing his own <laughs> animosity antagonisms with his editor by yeah. making him the antagonist in the little manga is great but also what I love is Mashirito every time we see him he's more and more worn down he becomes less and less human more and more of a robot till yeah. yep. he himself becomes Carl the man the cyborg and then there's nothing left he's just a screw <laughs> yeah the, the roboticization is itself a cyborg 009 riff mm. yeah yeah. <laughs> right down to the fact that he comes up with nine Carl men. Yep. Even though Tor- it was accidental on Toriyama's arc because he accidentally did seven twice. Did, yeah, he had to scratch one of the numbers out. And, and yeah. <laughs> He's like one of the only characters who like actually gets hurt <laughs> in the series and has like actual consequences and like only, the only actual character to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Sensei died briefly. <laughs> Which is funny, but he came back. But yeah, no, he's the only one whose death sticks and it's permanent mm-hmm. for our major characters. And he comes back as a ghost. <laughs> yeah, he's just a ghost for the rest of the series. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But yeah, I, Mashirito, I just loved his storylines and love whenever you pop up. And I love the climax to his role in the story, too, is, uh, you know, a botchamon at the end of the strongest person in the world tournament. You know, he impersonates a rally in the fight and then he kind of blows him away, blows in the smithereens in anger of him beating up Arale. That is a great moment, too. That was good, that yeah. he got hoisted by his own creation. You know, I just love uh, <laughs> repeatedly failing and things literally blowing up in his face at a point where he's nothing left. 
But uh, yeah, in terms of other questions about characters you like from Hosen Kai, first off, they asked for our best waifu. Midori. Well, she literally is a, a wife. <laughs> yeah, there's really not that many waifus in the series. <laughs> there's Aoi, the, the secret waifu. Aoi. Aoi is a nice character. I like Aoi as a... I think it's interesting that at the beginning of the series, she's kind of like Senbei's only like friend. Mm. Uh-huh. And of course, that kind of drops as the series goes along. He gets more friends with Karin Katan, Peace Gain Taro's dad. But, like, I kind of like her role in She had one really good chapter of, like, you know, her getting her license, being a terrible driver. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Robbers trying to, like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) hold them at gunpoint to, like, be their getaway drivers. But then them going insane because of her bad driving. They somehow landing on the moon. That was really fun. I was not a bad show. I mean, she's, you know, she's like the nice older sister, which is is another, you know, shonen manga trope. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember the cop lady that was. She was not. She was not featured very much, but I would consider her waifu material just because she's just like <laughs> so over the top and just like mm-hmm. just shoots her own friendly fire and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she was fun. <laughs> I mean, on the subject of Midori, a thing that I wanted to mention at some point on the show is that I think a thing that's really great is after she marries Senbei, I feel like it, it kind of unlocks this thing in Toriyama where he allows her to suddenly be sillier and, and she's yeah. a lot funnier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the only real gag with her in the past was like, sometimes she's mean, she gets like really mad or that she gets kind of blown up, but she's really like dancing around and being just as silly and weird as, and even yeah. drawn in the sort of more chibi style uh, as Senbei in some of those later chapters, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. He lets her be a lot more expressive. I love the chapter where, you know, she thinks that she has superpowers after misconstruing oh. <laughs> Turbo's powers as her own. And she's like, man, I can, I now have the power to like fly. And so she asks me to take her up on a plane and she jumps off and she just keeps falling and she crashes into the ground. But she gets like up and just pats herself up and like, oh, I guess I've had enough powers. So I just like that she gets to be like wild and weird in her in her own way more so when she becomes a part of the Norimaki family. Yeah, there aren't really, like, I, I agree, there aren't really, like, many waifu characters or whatever. Uh, I, I want to move on to um, Hozon Kai's question about best obscure character, uh, because my pick would be uh, the samurai guy that walks through Penguin Village, because he, he has yeah. that great moment with uh, <laughs> Kinoko where, like, he tries to cut the leaf with, like, multiple slashes and it doesn't work, and then he, like, just, then he just oh, cuts yeah. it on the ground, and he's like, I did it. <laughs> like, <laughs> That made me yeah. laugh so hard. <laughs> uh, I love that um, poop, the the little dog um, that's in a few chapters. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, as far as like kind of more obscure characters, I, I, I really love that character and the little like gag at the end where the aliens come to pick him up and that like final reveal of their faces reflect uh, in the reflection of their spacesuits was really great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially because it's building up like, oh, bye bye Gacha. And you have the big cover page of like everyone looking up at Gacha in the stars. And of course, the aliens have like the angel wings. So you're thinking like, oh, these are Gacha's parents. Oh, my gosh. But then it's the twist of like, no, it's the little dog. And the dog is and saying bye bye gotchan so it's a fun story it's a good it's a good misdirect yeah 
I mean, I, I like my favorite, like just minor background character is the one who sets the tone early. The, the, the talking pig with the megaphone strapped to his head. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> who, who announces that it's, it's the time of day and it's the time for the story to begin. And he, and he show he shows up again and again too. He shows up like good four or five times throughout the manga. Yeah. Speaking of pig characters, yeah, I will say that same pig that... I don't know if it's the same pig, but I know there's a pig whenever... Yeah, there's a different pig called Oinkity Oink, who just suddenly yeah. becomes the major just, character living with the, uh, the Norimakis. It was part of Penguin Village Wars, so I was like, what's going on? But yeah, yeah, he's the big crew often wears shades, and I like the, the, the setup in Penguin Village Wars that he has a crush on this girl in the town next over. Oh, yeah. And then at the <laughs> end of the sports festival storyline, he's... You know the announcer MC who's going to judge the winner, and he just calls the winner his his crush, <laughs> and then totally they get hooked up there, and everyone's mad at them. So that's a great payoff there. Chad Boo, that's all I'm going to say. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like wild. But I think my favorite obscure character is a character who is literally obscured for most of the chapter, and that's the Invisible Boy <laughs> in this one chapter late into the series run, who, like, everyone thinks that there's this floating kind of, like, ball that is, like, floating around the village, and they start following it and trying poking it, and they think there's, like, a force field around it, and the ball's getting smaller and smaller. And eventually, at the end of the chapter, it's revealed, no, it was, like, this invisible boy. There's this invisible failing penguin village, and this kid was just eating, like, these candy balls, and he's, like, at the end of the chapter, I'm fed up with this. People were, like, poking at me. I don't want to eat these candies anymore. This <laughs> sucked. It was annoying. Uh, that was very funny. And that was also a very interesting chapter because it's a chapter without Arale in it, without Sendai in it. It's just like Toriyama just got had this video for, that could have been like a one shot almost, and he just incorporated it into Doctor Slump. So I thought that was a fun, interesting change of pace. But uh, any overrated characters, characters that I guess we think um, may be very popular, but we didn't care for as much for. I'm not sure actually. Yeah. I mean, I don't really like this kind of question. I mean, it's like everybody likes different stuff, and I think that's fine. I, I, I don't think there <laughs> were any characters that like overstayed their welcome. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I have any. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I can't think of a character who I know is popular in Doctor Slump that I think doesn't deserve their popularity or isn't a good character. So yeah, I don't have a good answer for this. And then we answer the other questions about this, except for, I guess, how far into the anime uh, we are respectively. I've seen one whole episode, and that was the first episode. <laughs> I have seen various episodes of the original anime series, a lot of them scattered about the first uh, 20-ish or so episodes, and then a few more past that from there. Uh, and yeah, I have seen episode one with the Harmony Gold Gub as well. And then I've seen all of the 97 series. And of course, I've watched the five movies from the original run of the series that Discotech put out. Yeah, I'll just say I've watched, you know, a few episodes here and there throughout the years. Um, a little bit of the 97 series as well, mostly just because I like the opening theme. <laughs> it's really good. The opening themes are really good, yeah. Yeah, I've just watched a handful of episodes, and and again the discotheque movies. It's for for me, it was always about the manga. After after I had read the manga, I didn't feel like, oh, I got to go watch the TV version now. I felt like, well, I'm done. The TV is just be, that's a that's a bonus. Maybe I'll get to that eventually. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I've seen many episodes. 
<laughs> I refuse to incriminate myself on mic here, but <laughs> yeah, I've seen many, many episodes. Hey, I know how this works. I, I cop to the fact that the first Doctor Slump that I my I was exposed to was one of the movies uh, fan subbed, and I don't think it's I don't think it's one of the ones that's even on the discotech set. It's the one where they uh, where he and uh, Doctor Senbei and Doctor Machidito have to like compete to make the invention to make the princess laugh, and and they get into a horrible dad joke battle, and then like I think that was the moment that won me over. <laughs> But they were they were trading nice. these Amazing. awful, barely translatable puns that was making the audience enraged at them, but they were cracking each other up. Oh, I want to see this. <laughs> good, oh, man. Good gag. Yeah. Really yeah. good gag. Man, hopefully one of these days we can get another collection of those 90s movies. Mm-hmm. I think Taki has, still has a lot of questions that we haven't gotten to yet. We could probably get through them yeah, quick. Yeah, Taki has a question about like our favorite episode and chapter of the series. Yeah, we kind of talked about that. I mean, if, if if we're talking about like isolated individual chapters, I, I really like the one, the, the Christmas one where Senbei uh, dresses up as Santa <laughs> and just basically goes around breaking into people's houses and pre- <laughs> presenting them with autographed photos of himself. <laughs> Convinced that this is going to win them all over and they just get madder and madder at him. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there are a lot of good Christmas chapters, like the one with like the Santa apprentice yep, who goes yep. around everywhere, oh, yeah. beats up everyone, and they get mad and go to Santa and beat him up. And then the other one with Mashudu creating Carl Man, Stephen again, unbeknownst him at the time. And then it's just like this little doll of the activate inside the house, but it's, it does its job because it's like supposed to be. It'll leave like this kind of gift bag bomb that is mistaken as trash in the trash bag. Through a whining <laughs> accident, just ends up back at his house and blows him up. And that's a good one. Yeah, there's just so many great storylines. So many I remember so vividly. I mean, for me, I think my favorite storylines are in volume eight just as a whole with the first grand prix penguin village worlds the sweet potato the two-parter the poyoyo gang there are a lot of really good chapters in that volume in particular so i was very excited when i got to it in my reread i like the first grand prix just because like for uh Masharito's, um robots all he did was repaint them and they yeah. were robots <laughs> it was an ostrich and a swan and a frog then a penguin and yeah. a <laughs> And then at the end, the great twist of like Toriyama really he was competing in the race the whole time, yeah. so he won. <laughs> <laughs> he tricked everyone and took them on the prize. Pretty good. That was so good. Uh, as far as from my favorite chapter, just like I mean, they're all good, but I think just a sweet potato chapter threw me off just because like I could not take the Marge meme out of my head <laughs> when I saw that panel. <laughs> it's just like it's so good, but and the whole Ho Yo Yo gang was pretty funny. <laughs> I don't know if I have like a favorite chapter all the way through, but I do just want to say really quickly that I really love all the like dialogue free chapters, the the chapters that specifically rely on like just Toriyama's art and his like comic storytelling. I think a lot of those are really, really good. There's a really great one that like is sort of the like proto version of the Dragon Ball spines where it's just everybody kind of running yeah, together. Yeah, I love that spread. Yeah, it's good. Just that chapter of like the policemen see Arale running and they think something's going to happen and then they start chasing her and then everyone thinks something big is going to happen so they all start chasing Arale. And yeah, that spread is just so good. It is just such a prototype for the DB spines for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a fun that chapter. That's a fun one. 
So yeah, chapters that end up involving the broad cast of the village is always really fun. As are chapters that I, I again, other chapters that like involve Toriyama interacting with the gang, like the Time Stop chapter, like the chapter where he's answering all these Q&As that are about continuity uh, questions and problems. Those I always enjoy. And that goes also into favorite jokes, I think, in terms of like meta jokes and stuff like that. Senbei throwing Ultraman or a kid at Ultraman in the theater got a good laugh out of me. Yeah. <laughs> I like the other, the bug eyes of the other people in the theater. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good reaction shots, man. Uh, yeah. Any, anytime when it gets into meta humor, when the comic starts to rhapsodize about how stupid it is. That's that's always good stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like the, the, there's one aside where, you know, the characters are talking to each other and one of them just like, my mom won't let me read this manga. She says it's going to make me dumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like a couple panels I see a lot of cartoonists love to share are the like screaming the sound effect and then using the sound effect as a like, as a weapon. Yeah. yeah. As a blunt object. And then yeah. like yeah. also like <laughs> oh, bouncing God, yeah. off of panel borders and, and things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, there's a lot of great kind of meta jokes. One of my favorite moments of like characters interacting with the gutter and the, the frame of panels is in the a honeymoon storyline. Like at the beginning of one of the chapters, like Arali and Gachan are just hanging off the gutters. But we're seeing them on the page in like three different positions relative to where Senbei is to them because he's running all over the island. So we're seeing them from like different perspectives. We see them from like head on with Senbei's like beside them. And then when he runs off into the distance, we're seeing them from the back. And then when he's like turning around to look at them, we're just seeing them from an angle. And I just love how he plays with the perspective where the camera is following Senbei and Arali and Gachin's relationship with them while having them hang on the gutters in different positions. And that's just such a really clever page and composition there. Uh, but yeah, anytime he plays with the form of the comics page is really amazing. Would it be okay if we maybe talked, if, if we have any, because I think Taki also asked us about like our favorite inventions, if we maybe talked about those real quick and then maybe move on to some of the other ones, kind of group them together. Because we, we got a lot of questions about like our thoughts on like Dr. Slump and it's like influence on other like gag manga. And I, I mean, Taki has a lot of like anime questions that I think we can really easily breeze through. I mean, Joe, I know you had thoughts on the 97 series that uh, we can mention briefly in terms of remake or original. Yeah, I mean, we can try to be brief uh, since I know we're going pretty long here. But yeah, she asks like fave movie. I love the space adventure movie a lot. It's really great. I agree. yeah, yeah, I think that's that's the best one for me. It's the only feature length one. It's the only one that's yeah. like yeah. nine minutes to like fifty minutes or less. So. And it was it was timely. It was a, a parody of all the space adventure movies that were coming out in the and early eighties. It 80s. literally begins with a Star Wars old yep. ship opening parody. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's the most cinematic. I think the other one on that discotheque set that's really great is the Mechopolis one, uh, where they go to the like. A mechanical city out in space and it has a lot of kind of like surreal kind of like messing around with forms and things like that my favorite joke in that is like kinoko making the little like crayon monsters but they're just like two-dimensional monsters <laughs> that that nobody's scared of and stuff like that so yeah those are fun and as far as like you know if we like the remake versus the original i of the anime like the 80s anime is always i think superior but i've definitely like grown affectionate of the 90s anime through watching it it might just be through sheer like numbers of watching so much of it (laughs) beating me down but you know i had a lot of like preconceptions from watching like one or two episodes and being like "Eh, it's kind of like cheap and early digital doesn't look as good a lot of the designs like that taro redesign is a crime and stuff like you know like making a raleigh's hair brown instead of purple like why would you do that of it, they really just wanted to change the 
there are colors for everyone for some reason. Yeah, it's it's very strange, but like you know, once it kind of gets into its thing, like it it does like have some pretty nice episodes, and the art looks nice often. Yeah. And uh, like I I said, I think it really improves once Ob- Bochaman shows up too. Like I think it really kind of hits its stride. Totally. Um, so yeah, I think it's worth watching if you're a Dr. Slump fan, uh, but it's, you know, it's not perfect. I watched through it all, uh, just earlier, a few months ago, knowing that we were doing this podcast and wanting to get around to it, having seen a few episodes of it way back when also, like mainly the Dr. Slump Dragon Ball crossover episodes I, I watched before I remember really liking it as well as some of the early ones. But yeah, I have a similar feelings to you, Joey, of like early episodes, I think can be a, a really rough and the new designs take some getting used to. Some are better than others for sure. But yeah, I think once most of the cast come in, uh, the series really finds itself. And I think what I appreciate about is that it's not just a straightforward readaptation of the manga as a whole they mix and match a lot of different stories they like take elements from the manga but then make completely new stories out of it for example the pen seal story is like completely reimagined to be like pen seal is like this kind of forgotten prince on another alien planet that's connected to the nikko-chan storyline uh and they do interesting things that involve and expand on other characters like there's a lot more nikko-chan in the series like they do the storyline where he goes back to his home planet but then like he comes back to earth and he's in the rest of the series and i seem to really like him because he's very prominent and one of the final emotional moments in the last episode is him just talking with his servant is like ah, don't you miss home and he's like dummy you know this is a celebration just enjoy the moment <laughs> so they seem to really like him and as a fan of that character i like him i like what they do in nikachan and mashirito and the more stuff to do i like that they come up with some original stories in addition to remixing uh, the longest stories so it's not the same thing that you're getting from the manga or the first anime. So I can I appreciate that and I end up really enjoying it as a different way to enjoy Slump. And I hope on the subject, the next question, favorite OBED, I think uh, a lot of them are really bangers. I, I mean, I really like them a lot. Uh, my favorite ED is the third one, which is adapting that story I mentioned before of like um, them finding the gorilla child that had the broken arm. It basically adapts that story in the course of the ED and uh, it's pretty sweet. And I like how they have this little intro at the beginning of it where the characters are like talking over the ED and they're like talking about what happened in the episode and what's going to happen next. I like that little touch. Um, and my favorite opening, I think is the second one because it also represents the part of the series where the Obachamon comes in, the Soons come in and I like this. And Mashirito uh, is more prominent. So uh, there's a lot of fun stuff moments in that one yeah my favorite opening is the original 80s opening and the favorite ending is also from the 80s the one that's like a ondo festival dance uh with them playing the drums and stuff that's yeah that's my fave yeah i mean you can't beat also the originals are great like why why world is the iconic slum team for sure but yeah favorite invention the pon poker machine <laughs> yeah it's yeah. always a fun one i mean time coon is such a iconic design yeah it's an iconic uh, but yeah I, I, I like the way you know that they have the future camera and and everyone you know they're they're varying degrees of, of looking okay in the future except for senbei who is re- rearing <laughs> back from the photo in terror because of course he is fat and bald yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. it's always a good gag that always makes me think of say cheese and die <laughs> <laughs> yep I love Mr. Time, the time slipper. He has a great design. And I always find like the time travel story is very fun. So I love how he tries to recap what he does. And then he just <laughs> yeah. keeps yeah, getting yeah. like, no, shut up. Get to the point. <laughs> Start cutting him off. 
And the yeah, she also asked fave filler episode, and this just brings me to like a real quick point that like I think Doctor Slump has kind of some of the best filler because I honestly, since I watch it so kind of piecemeal throughout the years, I can't remember what is and what isn't filler, and often I'm like I don't know if this is an anime original episode or not, but it's awesome because the format of the series is so easy to just kind of create your own episodes and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. for sure, from the '97 series particular. I thought the one where Midori thinks she's going to be transferred to Metropolis Island uh, ended up being very sweet with, you know, Aurelia really gets emotional over it. And there's the great moment of her like going to Metropolis Island and bring, literally lifting back the entire school uh, somewhere uh, Midori doesn't have to move and stuff. And of course, it's a big concern thing, but I thought that was a very sweet story. And yeah, I do think the 90s series comes up with some fun original stories uh, and remixings of original stories, which makes it hard to say like, what you would consider even filler at that point, because like the Pensil story is so different. Like there's a story where Arale loses her head, which is like there's a similar story in the manga, but in the 97 series, it's like kind of completely different in terms of like setting, uh, in terms of like Obachamon's involvement and like finding her head and stuff. So, you know, but there's a lot of fun stuff there. Yeah, it, that series has a lot more in common with like Dragon Ball GT or Dragon Ball Super where it's like there's no need to like worry about catching up to the source material so the idea of filler doesn't really quite apply. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even get as far as to uh, touch upon everything in the original source material. Like, the series ends with like Turbo being born and Utter Gachan just being introduced. So, yeah. So, should we talk about uh, its influence on other gag manga, or we should we should probably end pretty soon. I think. Well, I think this is a good thing for like final point of yeah, like Doctor Slump's influence, and also like what we think are kind of like spiritual successors to it now, and then why we think it has like staying power. I really, I really just want to get my thoughts out there really quickly because this was something I really wanted to touch on. Was um, uh, honestly, after doing a lot of thinking, I think Kenta Shinohara is the closest thing we have to a Toriyama because his works are so influenced by Dr. Slum and he's even said so himself and like honestly I'm a huge skit dance fan and I love Shinohara's work so after reading Dr. Slump I'm just like oh man yeah there's so many similarities between like Dr. Slump and skit dance it's like it's so hard for me to not see it and I and I kind of love Shinohara's work that much more after like you know seeing the comic that was possibly like his biggest influence on like all of his works for sure I mean, I think in terms of also like just kind of tropes and gags, I think we can see iteration of this, especially in a lot of utter jump comedy gag manga. I mean, Joey, you posted like this gif in response to uh, the question, but like Softin's head being colored poop, uh, I mean, colored pink, you know, pink poop, uh, pretty much taken. This is Toriyama's like idea of coloring the the poop pink. The Shinohara comparison is really intriguing to me because I didn't read Sket Dance. I've only read uh, Astro Lost in Space from from that artist, and that didn't strike me as similar to Toriyama's work at all. Yeah, no, Sket Dance compared to Astro Lost in Space is a lot more like Dr. Slump in nature to the point where Sket Dance works a lot like Dr. Slump in the way that like Shinohara creates a setting, you know, filled with a lot of various wacky characters that he can take advantage of and make entire stories out of whenever he wants. And there are also like so many characters that like just remind me of Dr. Slump characters like uh, Chuma Sensei, the Sket Dan's like club room manager or whatever. He's very much like a mellowed out Senbei where like he is just this like mad scientist inventor that's always like creating like potions and stuff that the Skitdan trio uh, always get into and 
you know, that always leads into like wacky shenanigans that always make them react like, oh, like, why is this happening? Like, is this like a gag manga or something? Like, Skep Dance very much plays with the gag manga setting in like a more grounded setting. If that makes any sense, like Skit Dance plays in this weird space and it's part of the reason why I love it so much in that it clearly is supposed to be like a grounded, more realistic setting, but gag manga stuff still happens. Like there's literally a stretch of chapters in Skit Dance where like a string of crazy stuff happens to their club room to the point where like it gets burnt down and then they have to answer to like uh, this council of like educators from their school or whatever. Uh, and when they try to explain like what happened, uh, the council basically is like, that sounds stupid. Why are you lying to us? Like, that literally only sounds like something that would happen in a gag manga. Like, basically, certain characters are kind of in on the joke and others aren't. Like, again, I, I, I could go on a whole big thing, but, like, Scant Dance basically is, like, if Gintama were more like Dr. Slump, where it does have a lot of, like really gripping character focused like drama in places but is still not afraid to be like a fun wacky setting where dr slump shenanigans can still happen most of the time okay interesting yeah for me the modern parallel that i i frequently draw with uh with dr slump is a uh, series running in jump called me and robocop for sure yeah yeah, yeah. oh yes. yeah yeah it's you know very very broad silly gag manga and i think draws on a lot on a lot of the same style of humor mm -hmm. yeah yeah a robot woman who's an agent of chaos <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i will say that roboco one thing that is an interesting contrast between roboco and slump is that roboco does lean on more explicit reference humor of like actively pointed out hey this is the thing we're referencing and one thing i do appreciate about slump is that even though it is rife with pop culture references we don't often have characters calling attention to the fact that a pop culture reference is being made it just exists in the world and i think that kind of adds to like kind of the timeless quality of the the setting and story but i would still obviously i'm a huge fan of roboco and totally just a lot of the feel of it and also you know also just going to the fact that it's a small town a small group of characters yep. uh, a lot of just fun gags coming out of hijinks and character idiosyncrasies like it's just very stunk the running gag of the main character's friends you know looking talking and using the body language of bullies but they're act you know if you look at their words they're actually really nice caring <laughs> friends like to me that is an incredibly toriyama gag yeah yeah so brilliant sure. yeah that's exactly the kind of thing he would have come up with yeah mm -hmm. playing with reputations instead of stereotypes and archetypes yeah yeah i will say like as far as influence like not for comedy or gag manga in particular but i know in like dr stone there is some poop jokes in there and as well as there's a few title page covers that have uh direct dr slump references yeah. <laughs> okay. yep. yeah. like yep. there's a chapter that has suika like holding a poop yeah stick. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i remember that and hey the poop emoji right oh That's right. yeah definitely mm -hmm. a descendant absolutely hundred percent i i wouldn't doubt it yeah <laughs> it's so interesting that just, just the fact the way toriyama draws poop and like that kind of like little <laughs> spiral well, a little pile. soft serve ice cream kind of yeah. To it. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that has just become just so ubiquitous as a representation of poop it just another meter to the point that it became symbolized as the poop emoji and <laughs> without most people even realizing that it was really popularized and originated with slump so it has a big impact in culture in a ways that some people might even realize. 
One last question uh, from our good friend Don, but in cartoon, uh, just saying, can we agree Arale is the most powerful Toriyama character? Yes and yes. Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, you can't go wrong with your <laughs> yes. answer there. Though I will say that in the narrative, in the story, Arale loses to two characters, Carlman number eight, and then the Teapot Genie. And the Gachans beat Carlman number eight. But they're defeated by the Teapot Genie, who is defeated by Sukasun. So you could say Sukasun, when angry, is actually the strongest character. But Arale is the most powerful in our hearts, for sure. And more, she is powerful, more powerful than Goku. So that's that's unquestionable. Power scaling Dr. Slump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in the Dragon Ball Super uh, cr- crossover episode, Vegeta does assert that, oh no, this you know, this, this Arale, she, she's a gag manga character. <laughs> Only a gag manga character can defeat a gag manga character. So we can't. Good. We can't beat her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh man! For sure. uh, come come out as power level nerds. Where are those four hour videos of is Goku stronger? than I know, me? right? <laughs> God. And of course, the answer is they wouldn't even fight. I mean, they would fight, but then they'd easily yeah. become friends. They wouldn't even fight seriously. That's no. the thing. They would just have fun. That's an interesting contrast between Arale and Goku is that Arale is very much a protocol term. So she likes fighting strong people, but it's a form of play for her rather than like testing strength to, to get stronger. She just likes playing around with people who are as strong as her or stronger than her. It's all the game to her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all just some good fun. And it was just all just a lot of fun talking about Dr. Slumber, revisiting the series and chatting about it with you guys. Thank you so much for coming on and reflecting upon this really wonderful wacky weird little series oh yeah yeah i mean uh I, for me dr slump really does have something for everybody i think that if you're you know five years old or 10 years old or 50 years old or 500 years old if, if you enjoy comic storytelling you will love dr slump mm-hmm. mm-hmm. can i just say really quickly if you're at all interested in any of other toriyama's works besides dragon ball you should read this like i'm i'm so glad i finally got to it after probably over 15 years of like putting it off uh, look, I, I I loved it pretty much all the way through, mostly. I never, like, not enjoyed reading it. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned before, Dr. Slump was very formative to me uh, as a kid. It had huge influence on what I love about art and comics, what I wanted to create myself. And it was what made me fall in love with Toriyama as, as an artist, even more so than uh, Dragon Ball, because of how much he put himself in the series. And I really love uh, art where the author really, you can see them put themselves in the series, even if not just as directly as Toriyama did. But yeah, I mean, this is a series that I've revisited time and again over the years many times it's always been a favorite of mine and rereading it again has just cemented it that yes this is one of my favorite comics ever it's really right up there with me with your essay as like one of my all-time favorites and yeah i am just so in love with it i just think there's just so much to appreciate about it it's just great comic storytelling great comedy that is just very universal, like as mentioned before, it is just so visual oftentimes. There are chapters that are just often completely wordless and, but just still really great stories, just communicated through strong action, strong paneling. And I think that it is a really accessible comic. And as we mentioned, there are some caveats. There are some content that for young readers, we would encourage to maybe avoid. But overall, this is a comic that is generally a great all ages experience that is sure to delight uh, readers of young and old. And you're never too old for to enjoy a good poop. No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it boils down to. Poop joke. No, I'm joking. But <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're just a fan of the art itself, like, 
you would enjoy this series because there's so many good art bits in it. It's just it's really good. I was like, I don't know if there's a like illustration book for Slump, but if there isn't, they need to make one. Uh, I would love one. There's some Toriyama art books that came out when Dragon Ball was still running that have Dr. Slump stuff in them, as well as kind of early Dragon Ball stuff. Um, but the Toriyama The World book, that has a lot of color uh, in fact, I think that's the one that has the color reproduction of the story of the like poops that all meet up with each other and they're looking for their home and they end up in the toilet <laughs> at the end. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I guess my closing thoughts are that, you know, Dragon Ball is the series that I obsessed about when I was a teen. And so it's always going to be kind of etched into my brain backwards and forwards. But like as time has gone on and as tastes evolve and whatnot, Dr. Slump is definitely the series that I'm, I find myself more excited when I see Arale than when I see Goku, uh, even though I love them both. And so, yeah, this was really fun talking with you all about this. No, for sure. Thank you so much uh, for coming on guys. And, uh, I think this is the point of the show where before we head out, uh, we definitely want to give you guys a chance to like plug your stuff and anything you're involved in. Uh, Mike, why don't you go first? Uh, well, I actually haven't been very active on the writing front lately, uh, but I uh, for for discotech stuff, uh, I've been writing a copy for the boxes on some recent releases. My my most recent project, which I'm still uh, very proud of, is I, I did the narration for a documentary extra on our release of Project Echo, uh, the uh, wonderful remastering that came out over the holidays. Holiday season so please do check that out on blu-ray if you love the classics those liner notes on the disc are really good yeah yeah and that, that was I enjoyed those like everyone on team discotech chipped in something good for that release and it's one of our best mm-hmm. yeah pl- please go buy and support all of discotech stuff you guys really put out like really amazing releases we're doing our best um and then i guess joey how about you uh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Joey Weiser or Joey Weiser Comics on Instagram. Instagram is more purely art focused, whereas Twitter is just about whatever comics I'm reading. There's a lot of Dr. Slump tweets over the past few months and, you know, comics and movies and whatever random stuff. And please check out my graphic novels. Uh, Ghost Hog and Dragon Racer are my two newest books, and they're both self-contained stories with some crossover uh, in characters and world. And then I also did a five volume series called Merman. And and uh, those should all be available digitally as well as in print. And um, yeah, yeah, I uh, think that's all I got this time. <laughs> so yeah, please check those out. And and oh, how about this? I'm also starting to do conventions. So in June, I'll be in Toronto at the Toronto Comic Arts Festival and in Charlotte for Heroes Con. So if you're going to be at either of those, come out and say hi and s- tell me that uh, you listen to this episode. Cool, cool. And then James, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at that one welder guy. I really don't post welding pics anymore. <laughs> I just talk about manga and anime. <laughs> um, I should probably change my handle to something anime related, I guess. But um, I also host the Kicking Stones podcast, a Dr. Stone manga read through podcast. The manga may be over, but we still have some gaps to fill as well as guests that we're going to feature. So look forward to that. And that's at Dr. Stone pod as well as Weeb Jammin, which is just a general just talking about anime podcast. You can follow that at Jam and Weeb. And a podcast I do with Allison from Five Dumb Weebs called Yada Yada Yada, a podcast about nothing where we just talk about Seinfeld episodes. <laughs> and you can follow that at Seinfeld. <laughs> and I guest with uh, Derek from uh, Good Friends Anime Club with uh, Deal With The Devils and Actual 21 podcast where we just read through Actual 21 volume by volume. And uh, I believe our volume 11 episodes are out now. So check those out and you can follow that at Devil Bat Pod. All right. Yeah, definitely go check out all of James' stuff. And then 
And uh, yeah, I mean, again, once again, thank you guys so much for coming on and staying just a little bit longer to finish out the show. We really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> and we really can't wait to have you guys on again, maybe in the future. But I guess until then, Lum, we should go to community shout outs and end the show. Yep, I think it's time for us to do the Norimaki Betty Bye Shuffle and head upstairs and do our nighttime routine of our wrap-ups and plugs before crawling into Senbei's mouth like the gotchins for a good night's sleep. wonderful discussion of Dr. Sun. We truly all came together for a great festival opening to all the inner universe. You know? We really, really had a great time discussing this wonderful series we all adore. And it's definitely a series you're going to talk about even more. And certainly a lot of people have been talking about it you know, over the years and sharing analysis and insights on it. And I want to share some of that great work with you here. So I mentioned this on the show, but of course we mentioned Jason Thompson's, you know, House of the Thousand Manga article and my thoughts on that. And, you know, I really want to recommend that again. I think he does a great job kind of highlighting the strengths of the series, giving a personal anecdote of like meeting Toriyama in New York at the Shonen Jump party and him being disappointed that he hadn't read Dr. Slump and just <laughs> all the great analysis he does about like you know Dr. Slump and how he uses poop homer just the different types of humor in the manga influences that Horiyama you know took and used in the series and you know how you know Dr. Slump is interesting because for a lot of folks in manga industry in Japan it is considered like the last non-manufactured hit among Joan Jump titles. You know, it just feels wow. like a completely loose and organic, something truly sprung from the mind of its creator, just, you know, full force. And so I think it's like a great analysis of just like how just singularly unique as a story, as a manga world Dr. Slump is and just what makes it so endearing in that. And, you know, in addition to Jason's article on it, you know, a huge influence similarly on me back in the day was, of course, Shane and Garrity. And she had written in her Overlooked Manga Festival about Dr. Slump as well and highlighting just what makes it such a great comic as well. Like, even more in both Jason and Shane's opinion that they think Dr. Slump is by far turning into his work even better than Dragon Ball 
Warren. Shannon, you know, also points out a lot of the great influences. The gag is a format of Dr. Slump and just what makes it so wonderfully, you know, ridiculous and endearing in a similar way. And David Brothers also wrote about Dr. Slump on Fourth Letter back in the early 2010s when he was reading through it. And he had some just great analysis of Toriyama's comics artistry, how he would lay out a page, he would sequence a gag, you know, just really breaking down the density of the jokes in the manga, just on a visual level and on the writing level. In particular, he had a great analysis of a page that I brought up during the conversation during, you know, the honeymoon storyline where we see a Rayleigh just hanging around a panel border from three different angles on a page and really breaking down just that layout and just how ingenious, you know, that concept is and how Toriyama manages to execute it, you know, so kind of brilliantly in, in a way that, like, it's just so unconscious, but, like, when you really think about it, it's like, oh, man, just the, the thought put into the sense of place and also the sense of interactivity between the characters and the form the layout of their page uh, the elements of a comics page like the panel cutter and just how genius that is yeah like david does a great job just analyzing like the comics artistry of dr slump just the construction of it and his jokes and storytelling in a way that i really really appreciate so definitely definitely give that you know a read they're just really good analyses. And, you know, there's a lot of great plays placed on Dark Slump, but also, you know, we mentioned, you know, some criticism, Toriyama's depiction of black characters, people of color in his early works are not great, and that's true of Dark Slump, which is why a lot of it has been censored upon re-release. And Golden PSP on Twitter did a great tread uh, a few years ago that really kind of looked at kind of different depictions of black characters in Toriyama's works, and kind of identifying, you know, common trends in how he depicts characters, and in particular in Dr. Slum going over some of the censorship that ended up being done to a lot of the more problematic moments and depictions of characters in the series. You know, particularly like with the baseball game, with the people from the island that kidnaps Midori, stuff like that. So it's a good tread that, you know, is well worth, you know, exploring because he also goes into kind of the history of like where a lot of this caricature of black characters comes from in terms of, you know, being inspired by blackface and American minstrel shows and the how that affected and influenced Japanese pop culture and like kind of popularized and normalized these depictions. So it's a good profile of this trend in Toriyama's work and also pointing out at the history of where it comes from and why it ended up being the way it was. And then of course the subsequent attempt to kind of ameliorate that in Dr. Slump at least through some censorship and later releases. So a very good trend profiling all of that. And my last shout out is about the Dr. Slump anime. It's a video by Yui Senpai who goes into the history of Dr. Slump's various English dubs and different actors from like the Harmony Gold pilot to her appearance in early Dragon Ball to her most recent appearance in Dragon Ball Super. And I think it's a really good history on different attempts at making Dr. Slump dubs. You know, they also talked about like some of the international does as well. So I think it was a really cool overview of, you know, Dr. Slump's history in dub 
And also, you know, Yui Senpai's channel in general is a really good one to learn about the history of various English dubs, various properties. So I would like to give their channel just a general shout out as well. They recently did a great video on Full Metal Alchemist English dubs as well. That is really, really good. But yeah, uh, another great one if you're interested in more of the history of the Dr. Slump anime, in particular the dubbing, the English dubbing of the Dr. Slump anime. But... That about does it for my shoutouts regarding Dr. Slump and Kira Toriyama. But Colton, you did have one shoutout from uh, a friend of the show that you wanted to share as well. Yes. Basically, I, I just want to promote another episode of uh, of Shonen Flop that I listened to recently, covering, once again, another series that we're pretty much not going to cover on the podcast anytime soon. Basically, another author we're not going to cover on the show, and that is Nobuhiro Watsuki. And uh, yes, the Shonen Flop did an episode on Gunblaze West. Uh, fun fact, a series that I bought all of digitally, I think, a, like a few months before all of that stuff came out about him. So never getting my money back on that, but it's fine. It is what it is. Um, But yes, they did do an episode on Gunblaze West recently uh, with Josh from the Volume 1 podcast, which, by the way, uh, listen to an episode or two of that podcast in particular. You know, a- another another good manga podcast. Yeah, very professional setup. Like, I'm just impressed by the production values. Like, they have a really polished like studio space they have so yeah they're they're fun watch for sure for sure when i get the chance to listen to more of that show and i come across an episode i particularly like i'll probably shout them out on the show again um but for now yes again this was another episode of shonen flop that i think is basically on the level of uh of their build king episode where they just particularly uh, i think jordan in particular really really hated the series and i think considers it like on the level of build king in terms of quality if not even worse actually which man you know like i love it when the shonen flop duo just just really tears into something that's like totally deserved you know every once in a while it is cathartic and you know as a series that like at one point that i was kind of looking forward into getting to because you know at, at the time you know before everything happened you know, there was a time where I was like, oh, a, a manga from Nobuhiro Watsuki, the creator of Aroni Kenshin, uh, about, like, cowboys set in, like, the Wild West. Like, that sounds like it should be good, but unfortunately, um, it's not. And that makes me very, very sad. I mean, there's a reason that a lot of us called Watsuki back in the day, one-head Watsuki. <laughs> the, there were fans of Booster Rankin, too. That's fair. Um, but yeah, no, b- basically... If this was a series that you were hoping that we would cover on the show, we're not going to, but listen to this episode of Shonen Flop instead if you really want to hear someone talk about the series uh, and you're still interested in, like, learning about it. Again, good episode of Shonen Flop. Definitely leave it in the links in our show notes along with the rest of our community shoutouts. It's a, it, was a, it was a fun listen. Absolutely. But, yeah, I think that about covers all the shoutouts we wanted to give on this episode. I think that about covers our thoughts on Toriyama's work for now. We'll definitely return to him in the future because we still have many titles for him to discuss and gush over in the future. But it's been a fun couple of weeks just talking about, you know, some of his classic works, works that maybe go in under the radar for a lot of folks big into Dragon Ball. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun and there's a lot to look forward to in the future in terms of the show and stuff. But for now, yeah, I think it's time for, you know, the, the sun is set, you know, it's snoring now and the moon's gone up, you know. So I think it's time for us to kind of crawl into bed and crawl into the mouths of our <laughs> doctors or whatever and just sleep <laughs> inside, you know. You know, time to do our good old Betty Bye dance as we, you know, wrap up the show. Betty Bye time. Mm-hmm. 
that moment still gets me. Very cute. So good. Um, but I guess until our next episode of the podcast, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and plug all of our stuff and plug where you can find the show, uh, starting with my good friend Lum. How can the good people find you? You can find me at Lumriyasha on Twitter, and it's Lumriyasha, right? Places like Amateur Relation, Annie List, and Letterboxd, wherever there's a Lumriyasha, that's where you can find me. You can also read my reviews on Mungaris.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews planned to go. Look forward to more on there. That's also you can find the other podcasts I do, Lum Squad, the year's the outside focus podcast I do with my good friend Andrew A.C. Yoshimura, where we discuss the wonderful Wacky World. We have these classic sci-fi comedy manga, the year's the Have a lot of fun going through these releases of the manga as they come out, as well as the movies now they're on Crunchyroll streaming and on Blu-ray from Discotech and we're so excited to talk about the new Year's Out's reboot anime coming out later this fall which looks so great and we're so excited we have so many thoughts and plans on how we want to cover it and other topics we want to discuss other episodes we want to make so we're really excited so if you're a big fan of similarly kind of a classic really influential comedy manga and the same way that Dr. Slump you know we add just as if not more so then definitely give us a listen you know definitely if you're a fan of Slub you'll be a big fan of uh, Yurisiatra and you'll really enjoy listening to us and you can find us on Twitter at Lum underscore squad you can find us on YouTube look for our channel name by searching for the search bar you got also on every platform you can think of Apple Plus, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor and we also cross post episodes of the Mongrel's feed and post episodes early on the Mongrel's Patreon and if you enjoy the art I make for our shows the animations, illustrations, I draw in general, you can find that stuff on my Instagram at SetArtWorks. All right. But as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts outside of Manga Mavericks that you can find over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Over there, if you click on the podcast page, uh, you'll find basically links to all of my stuff, whatever I'm doing at the moment, uh, even past projects I'm not involved in anymore, uh, as well as guest spots and other podcasts that you can listen to, you know, from all the years I've been doing this and everything. So uh, if you want to listen to anything else I'm a part of, again, coltoncorner.wordpress.com, click on the podcast page and uh, check out all my other stuff. Uh, but as for Manga Mavericks, you can find every episode over at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where at the $2 tier, uh, you'll have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast uh, before we put them up on our main feed. Uh, basically, if we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited before it's supposed to go up on our main feed, uh, we'll put it up on our Patreon first. But admittedly, that also depends on our schedule and what we have done at any given time. Um, so if you want more reliable content, you should sign up for our $5 tier where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. And also admittedly, I probably should have talked about this at the top of the show, but actually by the time you're listening to this episode of the podcast, uh, you know, if you enjoyed all of our Toriyama related discussions, look no further than our Patreon because uh, at the time we're putting this up, the newest episode of our bonus podcast uh, should be up where we actually invited on Randy from We Got a Podcast, another Dragon Ball podcast that we've mentioned on the show before, uh, to talk about one of Toriyama last one shots I think with Kintoki uh, you know a, a one shot that ran in Japan back in 2010 and got an English adaptation through the Viz Media Weekly Shonen Jump digital magazine in 2015 and uh, we spent at least an hour kind of talking about it and how we felt about it especially in relation to the other one shots that were running in that group at the time um, it was a fun discussion and it was fun getting to talk even more 
about Toriyama's comics, especially his current comics, which I think are really interesting to talk about. So if you want more Toriyama discussion, we have at least a little bit more on our Patreon, again, at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, and you know, when you sign up for our Patreon, it really helps us keep the lights on in terms of our website and podcast hosting. Basically, no matter what tier you sign up for, anything you're able to give us really helps us out and, you know, helps us keep doing what we do. And we really appreciate any patronage you throw our way. Once again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, please subscribe to us if you can. Uh, but as for everything else, you could follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, where we post different excerpts of the podcast, including some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Please subscribe. Email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Um, do you have any thoughts on Dr. Slump and any of uh, Toriyama's other fantastic works? Are you reading anything at the moment that uh, maybe you want us to talk about on the show and you want to give us your thoughts maybe? Um, you know, email us anything about manga, the podcast, or, or whatever, really. We love getting emails from you guys because when you send us an email, we'll read it on the show. Again, that's at manga mavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point. But, you know, especially on Apple Podcasts and even Spotify, if you leave us a rating and review, it really helps the visibility of our show on those platforms. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys whether it's positive or negative, because any feedback we get from you guys, uh, we want to use that to make the show that much better. Um, but yeah, that's going to be about it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. This has been episode 203, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 204. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.